pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's a Monday. Welcome in. Justin Kinner with you here on the Justin Kinner Show live on Dayton's ESPN Radio, 1410 Wing AM. And we are streaming live at wingam.com. If you have an Alexa device, take advantage of the Alexa skills. Hey, Alexa, launch ESPN Dayton, and you are off and rolling at any time of the day. So I think that's pretty cool. I know right now with a lot of you working from home or stuck at home or spending a lot more time at home than you would like, still looking for ways to take in 1410 Wing AM, you can do so by launching the skill. Hey, Alexa, launch ESPN Dayton, and you're off and rolling. It is that simple. Hope all of you had a, and I always have to uh, put out the disclaimer considering the circumstances, so I'm going to always keep saying that, so just bear with me. Considering the circumstances, I hope all of you had a great weekend. I will say this. I, there's no, I, I, I don't like to try and fluff things, okay? Like, I know this whole entire coronavirus, COVID-19 thing is just so unfortunate. It really is. But, like, Sometimes on social media, you would not. I like to like kind of point out and make notes of the positives that are going on. Um, last night, uh, my girlfriend and I we spent. I, I forgot what the the app is or whatever. It's whatever. Zoom is that what it's called? Shay Zoom. So Zoom. Uh, you know, we were able. I mean, Nora's family is all over the country. I mean, it's up north and, you know, northern Ohio, St. Henry, Wapakoneta, uh, family in L.A., family in Washington, D.C., family all over the place. And for three hours, uh, we were able to just spend time with a family that we only see once a year for three hours. And every, it was just like we were all just sitting around the table like we do once a year when we all get together. Um, and I'm seeing a lot of people take advantage of those types of things, you know, on, on social media. Everyone posting pictures of Zoom time that they're you know, able to spend time with family, finding other ways. So there are positives that are coming out of this, um, considering the circumstances. Like, that's always going to be my disclaimer. Everything is considering the circumstances. Um, but, you know, I have family in Texas uh, that I'm going to be trying to talk to them and downloading that app, or at least, you know, t- teaching them how to use it so I can catch up with my grandparents and, and my dad and other family members who live outside of this area. And I urge you guys to do the same. Um, you know, last night before we got off the phone with everyone, I just, I, it kind of hit me. They said, look, it took this type of disaster to get us all to come together for three hours that normally we only spend time together once a year during the year, and we don't catch up like this. So if there are positives, I just wanted to start off the show. Just be thinking about that. I know it's easy to focus on all the negatives, all the all the family gatherings you're missing as far as in the, phys, you know, in the physical form, uh, all the time with your friends that you're missing, all the baseball games, all of the NCAA tournament games that you could be watching or attending live. I get it. There's so many negatives, and it's so easy to focus on those Um, but if I could stress that I just I felt in a really good mood today considering the circumstances just because I think we as human beings are adapting to our surroundings and although the surroundings aren't the best they could be a lot worse and uh, because of technology we're able to feel a lot closer in a time that we want to think that we feel so alone so there I got my fortune cookie little uh, segment of the show out of the way but I did just want to start off by saying that because everyone's like you're awfully awful chirpy today I'm like I just it just there's there's just ways to try to stay positive and this is it you know being able to communicate with people still and i think that's a good thing so i want to open up with this uh 
the all-time fan favorite tournament that the Cincinnati Reds are holding right now on social media. Talking Reds to open things up here, and just so you know, the phone number to call in and join in on the conversation is 457-9464. Put a 937 in front of that if you're calling from outside of the Dayton area. But let's, let's have this little chat, shall we? I know every March, when we start heading into March Madness, uh, a lot of commercials, whether it's radio, television, whether it's any kind of marketing on social media or website or, or banners uh, you know, along the highway, whatever it is, everything be, has like a bracket type of theme, right? So all of these bracket type of things begin to emerge during this time of the year to take advantage of the, well, the madness that is March. It's obviously March Sadness right now with no NCAA tournament, but a lot of brands and organizations are taking advantage of the bracket theme. And the one thing that the Cincinnati Reds have done, which really sparked my interest, was, the, was of course, the all-time favorite tournament, the all-time fan favorite tournament for your Cincinnati Reds in the past and current. And it's interesting because I'm hearing a lot of people say, well, this, the results of this are all skewed because it's social media. Uh, a lot of this is Twitter-based, so on Twitter you have a younger generation. That's true. I agree with you. But you can make that argument on only a few of these results because there are other results where I'm scratching my head. This is a segment that I definitely wish uh, I could go back and forth with Schlemmer on because I know that he would find a lot of these results interesting. And I would love to figure out what his thought would be on some of these as well. But I will say this. Here's your final four. Your final four. Okay, so they have a bracket. Shay, how many total? I have the bracket in front of me. I just don't feel like counting at the moment. Um, it looks like 32. 32. I think I see so, on, yeah, I think I see eight in each quadrant. So 32. <clears throat> so they did the uh, the round of 32. So 32 of the most popular Reds players throughout its history, which as many as you think you can name, I can't tell. Is there anyone that's not on this list that you could think of, Shay? I'm not talking about in the final four right now, but just right off the bat. I, um, no maybe. one. No, I think they got pretty much everyone. You could think of maybe um, some of the, not, um, I guess, Billingham or some of the pitchers from the uh, Big Red Machine era, but they really got all the main guys. I mean, they even got guys like Cesar Geronimo and Griffey Sr., guys that weren't the big names on that list but were still the likable guys. So I think they did a good job hitting on almost everyone, really, um, even getting some of the really older uh, Reds players and like Klazuski and some of those guys. Exactly, and now that's why we're taking a look at this uh, round of 32 all-time fan favorite tournament for the Reds, and it's 32 players right now, and uh, the final four. If I would have told you to guess the final four players that would be in the final four for the most popular you know, fan favorite of all time, Pete Rose would have to be there. There's no doubt about it. This isn't a conversation about Pete's off-field, off-the-field discretions because that's never been a part of the equation to begin with. Yeah. Like I, I love when people say they're trying to justify this now and saying, "Oh, well, Votto, you know, well, Pete Rose. I'm sorry, Pete Rose is struggling in this popularity contest now because of his off-the-field issues." Folks, Pete Rose. The more off-the-field issues that he has had, the more his following has almost just bonded to him tighter. So I don't think that that's actually the case. I don't really agree with a lot of these results, but again, it's the fans partaking in this vote. Your final four does not include Pete Rose, and that is crazy to me. Okay, when you think about all the big names out there in Reds history, Pete Rose is the guy that right away, like if you had to go through every Major League Baseball franchise and associate a name with a franchise, whether you like him or love him, there's only one name that resonates with baseball fans across the entire country, and that is Pete Rose. Mm -hmm. Joey Votto, no. 
Joey Votto does resonate with Reds fans. I do not think that Joey Votto is one of the ten most popular players in Major League Baseball, much less one of the top four most popular players in this franchise's history, to be honest with you, but that's up for debate. So 457-9464. Here is the final four for the all-time fan favorite tournament for the Cincinnati Reds, the all-time favorite Reds favorite players. All of these are results of Twitter, correct? No Facebook, just Twitter. Yeah, I don't believe it was on Facebook or Instagram. I think it's a Twitter so it's thing. just a Twitter thing. So there are limitations to this, but I think it does paint an interesting picture. Your final four features Barry Larkin versus Joey Votto and Johnny Bench versus the Nasty Boys. Barry Larkin, no, that's a name you expect mm-hmm. to be there. Johnny Bench, that's a name that you expect to be there. The Nasty Boys, I don't have an issue with you them being argue. there. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of it's matchup based of who they ended up being squared up against in this bracket. But Joe Morgan should be in this final four. Yes. Like, if you want to talk about the four most popular Reds of all time, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, and this should speak to the fact that I'm not being a millennial here because all of these names, I didn't get to watch any of these players play. Mm -hmm. But Barry Larkin, Johnny Bench, Pete Rose, I mean, and who am I missing? Joe Joe Morgan. Morgan. Joe Morgan, Pete Rose, Barry Larkin, Johnny Bench. Those are the four most popular names, and maybe I'm overlooking somebody, but... I don't agree with the Nasty Boys being here, and I definitely don't agree with this Final Four featuring Joey freaking Votto. And I'm I'm 20 years old. I mean, I've grown up with Joey Votto as, like, the Reds player in my time, and even I. I mean, I would pick the exact same Final Four that you picked. Joe Morgan, Johnny Bench, Barry Larkin, and Pete Rose. Those are the four names that when you think of Reds baseball, those are the first four that pop in my head. I'm sorry, as much as I like Joey Votto, he's not one of the four guys that pops in my head when I think about the history of the Cincinnati Reds. I think... If you had to, rep- I think the Nasty Boys are probably right at that 5-6 range that you could argue, and I'd also throw in maybe like Griffey Jr. Even though he didn't have great numbers, he was still a fan favorite. But We'll, we'll bring you back on in a moment, Shay. I want to hear how you finish that, but 457-9464. And I know this is just a social media, uh, you know, just a little fun thing to be. Yeah, no Eric Davis, no Pete Rose. This is a farce. Larry, our friend Larry from Milano, is giving us a shout-out here on Twitter. Uh, on Twitter, he says, no Eric Davis, no Pete Rose. This is a farce. I agree. I agree, and that's why I wanted to have this conversation today. Again, if you're just tuning in, it's the Justin Kinner Show, and uh, we're talking about the the Cincinnati Reds little Twitter uh, tournament bracket that they had put out, the all-time Reds fan favorite tournament. Your final four features Barry Larkin versus Joey Votto and Johnny Bench versus the Nasty Boys. Now, if you end up having a final of Barry Larkin versus Johnny Bench, I'm completely okay with that. I'm not okay with the justification of the previous matchup, the Elite Eight matchup, if that's what you want to call it, of Pete Rose versus Joey Votto. Pete Rose versus Joey Votto had Joey Votto come out on top over Pete, and I have a hard time putting a lot... I I just don't buy that. I don't see that. I don't. Um, The Another name, you know, especially because Joey Votto also beat out Joe Morgan in the round before that. Joey Votto is not more popular than Joe Morgan, and he's definitely not more popular than Pete Rose. And the fact that, and Shay, you shared this about Barry Larkin right now. What are the percentages? I haven't even checked the update. Larkin, Larkin is up right now uh, pretty uh, 53-47 over Votto, so there's still 18 hours left on that, but he's got a decent lead right now. Johnny Bench is going to the finals. He's up 84-16 to right now on the Nasty Boys. I just don't think the Nasty Boys should have been there. Let me look at where the Nasty, you know, Veda Pinson, by the way, uh, and Di Scafani. Veda Pinson beat out Di Scafani. The Nasty Boys beat out Ken Griffey Sr. By the way, I think the only group of guys, the Nasty Boys, I think the only group is the Nasty Boys, so that's Mm -hmm. interesting to me. Tony Perez beats out Adam Dunn. Okay, Frank Robinson beats out Lorenzen. See, that's what I mean by 
Lorenzen shouldn't be on that list. I also see... Yeah, it's I've just a weird way that they put it together because they made it very easy for the Nasty Boys to get to the Final Four, but they put a guy who's as popular a Cincinnati kid like Ken Griffey Jr., and he has to go up against Johnny Bench in the third round, which as much as Reds fans love Griffey Jr., you can't not vote for Johnny Bench. So Griffey just really had a tough draw. I'm just curious why they kind of set it up the way they did where they, they made A. Eugenio Suarez kind of like a one seed. And as much yeah. as I love A. Eugenio Suarez, it's just a weird place to put a lot of guys. And and again, you have Corky Miller in this too. Eric Davis beats out Corky Miller to go up against Eugenio Suarez. Eric Davis beats Suarez. I'm not against Eric Davis. I guess I need to see a little bit more of Suarez, but Suarez, what, the performance that he's been able to put in back-to-back years and the expectations that we had for him heading into this year, I don't even know about that. Now, again, maybe he's I'm getting... an extremely likable dude. Maybe I'm getting too caught up in the fact of the on-field production versus the popularity. Again... I still pick Pete Rose over Votto in a in a production standpoint. I mean, you have the hit king versus the walk king. I'm sorry, but give me the hit king any day at that point. So, very interesting. Barry Larkin versus Joey Votto. Johnny Bench versus the Nasty Boys. That's your final four. Four five seven nine four six four. Do you agree with this? Not really poll. I guess, I mean, it's poll-based, but this bracket that the Reds have put out on Twitter, I'm going to retweet it now. Give me a follow on Twitter, at 1410Kenner, K-I-N-N-E-R, or you can also find me on Facebook. I shared it on Facebook as well for you to take a look at the bracket. But there is no way that Joey Votto, and Joey Votto had probably the toughest draw on this bracket. Joey Votto had to go up against Mario Soto, which, again, Votto over Soto I don't have an issue with. But Votto over Joe Morgan? No, that should have been the demise of Joey Votto right there. You know, and then you would have had potentially Joe Morgan versus Pete Rose, which I don't like that bracket that meeting right there. Vote. That would have been tough. I think that, you know, I, anyone who would have come out of the Joe Morgan-Pete Rose battle, I would have been okay with. But I, I have. there's no way that Joey Votto, from a popularity standpoint, there's no way that Joey Votto is more popular than Pete Rose or Joe Morgan. But yet, here he is. Again, he's 6% behind Barry Larkin at this point. So we'll see how this goes moving forward. But four five seven nine four six four. Let's go to Tony in Beaver Creek. What up, Tony? How are you, man? Hey, what's up? You guys have a good weekend? Absolutely. Yourself? Oh, great. I'm still alive. <laughs> hey. There we go. This is, this is the same thing that ESPN did with the greatest college basketball players. And Zion Williams was in the top four. This, it's, it's, they skew it the way they want it to fit. Nasty Boys is a one-year wonder. King Griffey Jr., all the years, not that I'm a fan of his, but all the years they had these kind of like things going on, he was always one of the top people uh, as a, one of the fan favorites. So I, I agree with you. I think it's the way they skewed it and put the people in the brackets. I think, the, I think if you took all the po- most popular Reds and you played them out there and told people to pick their four, this would be a completely different Final Four. It wouldn't be what they got now. Yeah, and, and again... No, I completely agree with you. I don't like the some of the matchups just automatically eliminate some who would have probably had been kind of been in the final conversation. But to pit Joey Votto versus Joe Morgan in the second round and Joey Votto versus Pete Rose in the Elite Eight, for one, like I said, there's just no way Votto is not more popular than either of those two. In fact, the biggest complaint about Votto not even three years ago was that he was unlikable by fans because of the way he treated fans outside of Reds games. So, and then because he makes a couple stupid, goofy commercials, all of a sudden Reds fans are drooling over him. Give me a break. I just I don't buy into the Joey Votto stuff. That, I just don't. That's me and you. Me and you are, are sports people who, who sees beyond the hype and all that. We're looking at people for numbers and how they act and all that. And you get these kids and these younger generations. Love to see what they put out. These kids are on these athletes are on social media and what they do. And they base their, their uh, who they like for what these guy, other guys do. 
That's the way the NBA likes to roll. Me, I'm like you. I want to see what have you done for me lately as far as numbers, games won. And that's what I'd be basing my, my, my final four on is what have they done for the team to help the team win. But, you know, the kids don't like that. It's not flashy enough. So, and I'm with you. And, and here's the other counter argument to that, too. Someone said, well, you know, you look at social media, Twitter, uh, a lot of younger people use Twitter, and a lot of younger people are going to have more recency bias when it comes to Joey Votto. Well, that would make sense. But at the same time, I, I just, I, I don't know. Like I said, even common sense would tell you you can't pick Joey Votto over that. Then if that's the case, too, Brandon Phillips would have been picked over Barry Larkin. Because, uh, you know what I mean? Like that, that right. if, if we're going to say younger people are making these decisions, because Brandon Phillips was more of a fan favorite to Cincinnati than Joey Votto was. We're not talking Absolutely. about talent. We're talking about the fan favoritism uh, amongst fans at this, in this conversation. But, yeah, right. and if, if there was a recency bias, then Eugenio Suarez would have beat out Eric Davis. And they have Eric Davis going over Suarez. So I don't agree. I don't like when people try to dumb down millennials and say, oh, it's a recency bias. No, I just think that, I don't know, some of this is skewed. There's no way that Joey Votto is more popular than Joe Morgan <laughs> or Pete Rose. No way. Not buying it. We're just we're just a couple old men still up along and uh, remember as he's playing. Kids nowadays have no idea. He, all he owns a Honda dealership on 75. That's all I know, Joe Morgan. Yeah. He and he's got to say, <laughs> well, I got to see him play from day one. And, it's, and, and to see those guys play, and I can think of, a, you know, 10, 15 other Reds I would put on there. But I've got to watch them since the early 70s. So it's, it's so different for me than these kids nowadays. I mean, they never got to see some of the great. And then, it's, it's, like you, you weren't even born in 1990. You didn't get to see the Reds win a World Series. I, I saw that. I saw the National Boys. And Eric Davis, when he swung the bat and broke it on, missed the pitch and broke it on his back, that was awesome. To see that kind of stuff that year went on. That was what made them uh, Billy Hatcher, another great player. There was a lot of great fan favorites back then. We've been in such a drought for so long. The rest, these kids, doesn't really get to know to see what what you know the fan favorites in, other than you know Brandon Phillips and some of those ones like that. They haven't got to see how some of these players have been. So, all right. Well, thanks for taking my call. Anytime, Tony. Take care. Great hearing from you. You too. All right, four five seven nine four six four. The other thing to keep in mind too, like the Nasty Boys getting to this Final Four again. If you're just tuning in, the Cincinnati Reds put out the all-time Reds fan favorite tournament, and uh, all of these results are stemming from Twitter and social media. Uh, and they had all of these matchups, around a thirty-two matchups. Like uh, you know, right now. Uh, Eugenio Suarez against Cesar Geronimo in the first round. Suarez comes out on top. Eric Davis versus Corky Miller. Eric Davis comes out on top. Like These are all the matchups, and they're stemming and leading to this Final Four. We'll find out what less than 18 hours what the championship would look like, and it's most likely going to be Barry Larkin versus Johnny Bench, which is fine. You get a result that's not going to be terrible, uh, but when you start reading between the lines, Joey Votto being voted as more popular than Joe Morgan as an all-time fan favorite? No. No. Uh, Joey Votto being voted as more of a fan favorite over Pete Rose, beating Pete Rose in the head-to-head? No. There's no way. Now, those are the results, so I can't argue them, because they are, apparently. Uh, but I just I don't understand that. Also, the Ken Griffey Jr. being knocked out. I know that we didn't get the, the Ken Griffey of great. I completely get that when you're talking about Cincinnati. But from a popularity standpoint, Ken Griffey still, uh, his popularity was through the roof, man. Like, his popularity was through the roof. So, with that being said, putting Ken Griffey in a bracket where he had to go up against Johnny Bench right off the bat was kind of tough. If you would have put Ken Griffey Jr. in the bracket at the bottom where the Nasty Boys were, if Joey Votto or if Ken Griffey Jr. had to go up against, uh, you know, at this point, oh, Ken, that's Ken, yeah, Ken Griffey Jr. versus Ken Griffey Sr., that's a tough one right there. 
I think senior still or uh, junior comes out on top just because of the the mass appeal that uh, ju- the junior had compared to senior. But then. Ken Griffey versus Veda Pinson. Obviously, Ken Griffey would move on from there. Ken Griffey versus Tony Perez. It'd be tight. It'd be close. But I still think Griffey would get that nod. So it's all about where they were placed in this bracket. They kind of screwed over some. Joey Votto, though, should have been buried way early. He should not have got past Joe Morgan. Definitely should not have got past Pete Rose. You're listening to the Justin Kenner Show right here on Dayton's ESPN radio station and Dayton's home of the Reds, 1410 Wing AM. We'll pick up with more of this conversation on the other side. We'll go matchup by matchup and see how many of these that the voters got right and how many of these that the voters technically got wrong. We have that coming up. Plus, we'll have a little bit of our interview that we had, of course, uh, with Austin Ward from Letterman Row. We talked about the Buckeyes' dominance on the recruiting trail. A couple interesting notes that he had about the Buckeyes' path moving forward. After that interview, of course, the Buckeyes struck gold again on Friday night, so we'll have some of that interview coming your way. Plus, we'll also talk about the possibility of college football starting in the summer. That's all coming up over the next few hours. Don't go anywhere. More of the Justin Kinner Show next. There's a lot going on right now, and more than ever, people need their tax refund. H&R Block has many ways to do your taxes as safely as possible. Work with the Tax Pro remotely, drop off, or file online. Block is always here to help. Back to the Justin Kinner Show, right here on ESPN Dayton, 1410 Wing AM. All right, I hope you had a great weekend, considering the circumstances, as we uh, set that precedent earlier. That's how you always have to say, considering the circumstances, because we know not everything's not great, but you got to make do with what you have, and that's what we are all adapting to. Uh, as human beings and again I hope you had a great weekend and we are off and rolling here on a Monday and uh, yeah lots to dive into we opened up with of course the all time Reds fan favorite tournament that the Cincinnati Reds so more ridiculous to me is the fact that Joey Votto is the name that bumped out Pete Rose. Joey Votto is also the name that was voted to be more popular than Joe Morgan. Joey Votto, as much as I love and enjoy watching Joey Votto play, Joey Votto is not more popular than Joe Morgan. Now Maybe that's a little strong of me to say, considering the fact that the results say otherwise. Uh, but it is just a Twitter poll. Now, I do know people have said, well, look, you know, they're trying to justify it by saying, oh, look, Joey Votto, he got deemed more popular than Joe Morgan and Pete Rose because it's Twitter. Twitter of all the social media platforms out there. It's a younger demo that leans towards using Twitter, blah, blah, blah. That would make sense. However... Those same people that are deemed millennials that only have that have that recency bias that only focus on the now, they also said that Eugenio Suarez was less popular than Eric Davis. I don't mind that result there, but if that if that mindset and if that logic existed that Pete Rose was voted less popular than Joey Votto just because millennials were voting here, those same millennials would have most likely voted for Eugenio Suarez to be more popular than Eric Davis just based on being millennials. So I don't 100% agree with that. I also can live with the excuse of Joey Votto being voted over Pete Rose because of Pete Rose's recent, dis- you know, not his not recent issues that he's had. It's the stuff that had come to light ever since his uh, statue was put in front of Great American Ball park you know the stuff about his previous relationships uh, from his past the details of those have kind of scarred a lot of people some not all uh, Pete Rose I think that the Cincinnati Reds in Major League Baseball they have milked Pete Rose for every ounce of Pete Rose content possible outside of just resorting back to the well is he going to get in or not they have used them for the red, you know the you know the what, what do they call it Shay that all-star weekend that every team had the red like the four top players 
Oh yeah, the um, the commemorative Hall of Fame weekend or whatever. No, but it was where it was at the All Star weekend where every team had their four most popular players voted voted upon, and Votto or not Votto was Rose was a part of. It. Regardless, yeah. Major League Baseball. R- Major League Baseball was able to trot him out there with his recently dyed all black hair. Uh, they were able to trot him out uh, into you know under great. It was the year that the Reds that Cincinnati hosted the All Star uh, game. It was really cool, uh, but you got to see the most popular players for each organization come out and be honored. And Pete Rose was one of that. You get to see the you know Pete Rose bobblehead days, the Pete Rose statue uh, unveiling, and the bobblehead for the Pete Rose statue. I mean, every single chance that the Reds had of taking advantage of that, they took advantage of it. They they. They did it. They were proactive with it. Now, there's really nothing left. So you can argue that Pete Rose's popularity has diminished because of that, because now it's becoming a little bit more difficult to get his name back out into the spotlight. But here's the issue I have. Joe Morgan Joe Morgan never needed to have all of the outside publicity to have a name that is relevant in the you know, mid, you know, past the 2010s. Joe Morgan, when you drop that name, you don't have to be uh, an old school baseball fan to know who Joe Morgan is. You could be a little dumb millennial like us and still know who Joe Morgan is. People know how popular and how great Joe Morgan is, and he doesn't, he didn't need any off the field issues to bring, to make his name relevant. So the fact that Joe Morgan is being voted as less popular than Joey Votto is a little laughable, if you ask me. But again, I could deal with it. So let's go matchup by matchup. Shea will start in the upper left corner. Again, if you're just tuning in, head to Twitter or follow the Reds. Follow me on Twitter. Look for the all-time fan favorite tournament bracket. And we are going matchup by matchup to see how many of these fans got right and how many of them kind of are questionable in the results. Tucker Barnhart and Ted uh, Klazuski. Obviously, Klazuski comes out on top. Barnhart. I don't know how he's even on this. I know he's mm-hmm. won a gold glove. I know there's sustainability. There's you know he's been here a while. Staying power, right. but no, this was an easy one. Yeah, this one, one right. this one was pretty easy. It's a solid player versus a Reds Hall of Famer, and one gold glove does not top being a Hall of Famer and one of the best players from the early days of Reds baseball. So yeah, this one was pretty easy. The next one, Tom Browning and Dave Concepcion. Now Dave Concepcion comes out on top on this one. This is one of those where it's a tough one. I think either could have gone. However, mm-hmm. I would have probably leans more towards Tom Browning because we're not talking about better. Yeah. We're not talking about who's more impactful. We are talking about popularity. Tom Browning, I still think, holds that popularity edge over Dave Concepcion. So I'm very surprised that Dave Concepcion tops Tom Browning as far as that fan vote's concerned. I would have pledged my allegiance with Tom Browning at that yeah, point. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking along the same lines as you. It was one of those matchups where either one, whoever won, I think would have been I would have been okay with because they were both just uh, great players. I voted for Browning. Uh, I think the, the edge for me was that he threw batting practice to all of us. So I think that was the, the tip you know, that put it over the edge. But yeah, either one I would have been okay with, but I, I voted Browning. So I agree with you there. All right, next matchup included George Foster and Barry Larkin. I like George Foster, uh, but this was an easy one. Barry Larkin, I don't think there was any questions asked as far as that's concerned. That's a brutal matchup for George Foster. Great player, but um, Barry Larkin's gotten 80-plus percent of the vote in almost every round for a reason. I mean, one of the most popular Reds names ever, no matter what generation you're in. Dave Parker versus Brandon Phillips, the next one. Brandon Phillips comes out over Dave Parker. I do like that. I think, And like I've said, if you look back, we're not asking who's better between Brandon Phillips and Joey Votto. But honestly, mm-hmm. if Brandon Phillips didn't have that fallout with the Reds towards the back end of that contract, and if Brandon Phillips wasn't caught up with the fact that the castle or the ownership of the Reds at the time who we went to to fight for the contract, 
they lied to him, told him they didn't have the money to give him the money he wanted, and then turned around and gave that big mass sum to Joey Votto, which always led to the kind of internal but never totally out there feud between mm-hmm. the two. Brandon Phillips was more liked by the fans than any other Cincinnati Red. That's what drove a lot of Reds internally crazy when you listen to a lot of reporters talk about it, the fact that you know Brandon Phillips wasn't always the best teammate. He rubbed a lot of teammates the wrong way, uh, and it would frustrate a lot of his teammates when he would run out onto the field, and he's the most beloved Red on those rosters, especially during those playoff times. Right. And there was a lot of likable, lovable players, but Brandon Phillips just had that it factor that connected with the fans. Yeah. I, Dave Parker, solid player. Um, I think the difference, the big difference that really sat with fans was that Dave Parker kind of played not the best part of his career with the Reds. Brandon Phillips had his entire prime in Cincinnati, and like you said, it was a good team for most of his time in Cincinnati playoff teams. Uh, and I think you could argue, I think you could have a valid argument, a very uh, pretty decent argument, that Brandon Phillips was more popular and is still more popular amongst Reds fans than Joey Votto in a lot of people's eyes. So I think uh, as good as Dave Parker was, Brandon uh, was... Very worthy of moving on here. All right, on to the next one. Joey Votto, Mario Soto, Votto over him. Totally fine with that. Yep. Uh, Chris Sabo, Joe Morgan, Joe Morgan over Sabo. Completely fine with that. Sean Casey and Pete Rose. I feel Sean Casey running into Pete Rose in this. Again, this is a bracket that the Reds had put, social media team had put together. It's, it's a conversation starter. Mm-hmm. I like these types of things, and I think that it does get people talking for obvious reasons right here. I would have... You know, try to separate Sean Casey. Again, we're talking popularity. We're not talking about who's best here. We're talking about popularity. Sean Casey, I, I think, is more popular. I don't think he's more popular than any, by any means, any of the, the Big Red Machine core. But he's definitely not as popular as Pete Rose. But right. I think you could argue from a popularity standpoint, Sean Casey versus Joey Votto, if you really wanted to have that conversation of who's more popular, right. I think you could have a serious conversation that Sean Casey should edge out Votto, although these results aren't showing that. But I would seriously lean towards Sean Casey over Votto in a popularity standpoint. Everyone loves Sean Casey. I don't think that's the case with Joey Votto, who I think is pretty polarizing. And and like I said earlier, just some of these matchups were just so weird to me that they put up, I mean, just such... uh, They put up really easy matchups for some guys and really tough matchups for others. I agree Pete Rose should have beaten Sean Casey in this situation, but Sean Casey deserved to get out of the first round. He was a liked red. I would have, I mean, for, put him up against, you know, a Michael Lorenzen or a, a, a Veda Pinson or an Anthony DiScalfani that are in this poll. I mean, Sean Casey deserved to get out of the first round. Uh, I don't know who made the bracket in, in all, but just some really weird matchups. And putting Sean Casey up against Pete Rose in round one, I don't think does Sean Casey a lot of justice. All right, on to the next one. Again, Pete Rose over Sean Casey. I don't have an issue with that, with those results. But as you said, I don't like the placement of where Sean Casey fell within that that poll. Joe Nuxall and Bronson Arroyo. Uh, Joe Nuxall gets the edge there. Bronson Arroyo is another one. Mm -hmm. I think if you want to talk about popularity, again, I mean, look, I know Votto's won an MVP. But Votto has never connected with fans the way Sean Casey has. He never connected with fans the way Brandon Phillips did. He never connected with fans the way Bronson Arroyo did. So that's why I think this, these results are kind of interesting. I think people are letting the oh, who's better get in the way of who is more popular. Uh, but Joe Nuxall over Bronson Arroyo, I have no issue with that. When you look at Nuxall in his playing days, into mm-hmm. his broadcasting career, I don't think you can argue uh, that about Joe Nuxall whatsoever. On to the other side, Eugenio Suarez, Cesar Geronimo, Suarez getting the edge there. No issue. Eric Davis versus Corky Miller. Corky Miller was an interesting name to be dropped into this. Corky Miller was obviously known for, well, the road warrior that he was within the minors. Yeah. Um, but Corky, 
without a shadow of a doubt, and you know this for any of you fans out there who always regularly attend the Reds Caravan or make the trips to Reds Fest, Corky Miller, regardless of his, I don't want to say lack of success at the majors, because he made a name for himself even mm-hmm. you know in the minors, the popularity of Corky Miller is through the roof. So, again, Eric Davis getting the nod over Corky Miller, I don't have an issue with that, but Corky Miller would definitely get a lot of the younger vote. Corky Miller is a prime example as to why I don't think I don't like people using the excuse that oh millennials think young and think recent with this poll. If that's the case, then guys like Corky Miller and Eugenio Suarez would have moved on a lot further into this thing. Mm-hmm. Johnny Bench and Jose Rio. Johnny Bench, no questions asked. Rocio Iglesias and Ken Griffey Jr. This was the easiest one of the first round. <laughs> Ken Griffey Jr. and I think that Rocio Iglesias. I think Rocio Iglesias has an opportunity here to shoot his name up the popularity boards yeah. if he can rebound this season whenever this season starts. If Rocio Iglesias can be a part of a playoff Reds organization and he is the anchor on the back end and could mm-hmm. get back to what he was two years ago, oh, yeah. look out for Rocio Iglesias as far as a more popular player. But even then, Ken Griffey Jr., no I'm questions just, asked. I'm kind of surprised, and it's probably because he's still an active player on another team, but I'm a little surprised why Rocio Iglesias made this bracket and rolled as Chapman didn't, because Chapman was maybe the most popular reliever since the Nasty Boys. Every Reds fan you know, went crazy every time Chapman was put in the game, and I think it's because he's still an active player, but I would have been curious to see yeah, you're right. what no would have happened act- if Chapman would have made it in. I don't see. There's no other active player on this list that's not a red, mm-hmm. so I don't know if that was a part of the criteria or not, but you're right, because Aroldis Chapman, you could sit here and act like, oh... Frazier would be on this list too, probably. Yeah, and Todd Frazier was... And see, that's a good point. So these have to be non-active former Reds is my assumption here just based on the way this is laying out because Todd Frazier would definitely be you could put Jay Bruce on there yeah. I would have put Jay Bruce on this list as much as I like Corky over Corky I think you could take I mean who else Quato, Barnhart. Quato over Di Scalfani yeah there's a lot of names on this list that I would have put on here but they're all active like Tucker Barnhart I would take off and probably put a you know a Frazier or something along those mm-hmm. lines but alright uh, Tony Perez against Adam Dunn T- better Tony Perez was better Adam Dunn, I'm not arguing. Dunn should had be a lot of flair, but Adam Dunn was a fan favorite, but I have no issue. Again, because of a matchup mm-hmm. issue here, Tony Perez gets the nod. Frank Robinson and Michael Lorenzen. See, that's the thing. Take off Lorenzen. Take off Tucker Barnhart. You know, I don't know why they needed to. They've tried to force yeah. all their active guys on here. And I, don't, they did. I don't have any issues with Michael Lorenzen. I actually like him a lot as a reliever, but... I don't even know if he's the most popular reliever in that bullpen right now. I think Amir Garrett would be the most popular reliever in the Reds' bullpen right now just because fans, I mean, they like his, you know, he doesn't take crap from anyone. He, of course, is now known for taking on the Pirates' bench, but Amir Garrett, the dude who throws 100 miles an hour, the wipeout slider, he's not afraid to challenge anyone. I think I, I think you could argue he's more popular than Michael Lorenzen. All right, so that was our first round matchups. When we come back, we'll close out hour number one um, with, of course, the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight matchups to lead us right back to the Final Four, which we previewed to open up. We'll be right back. More of the Justin Kinner Show when we come back right here on 1410 ESPN Radio. Now, back to the Justin Kinner Show right here on ESPN Dayton, 1410 Wing AM. We welcome you back to these names like Billy Hamilton, I thought Todd of, Frazier, Jay Bruce. Right. I thought of six off the top of my head that are still active in baseball, and I assume that's why they can't use them, but uh, that are just Reds fan favorites over the last, you know, even decade, and that's Johnny Cueto, Jay Bruce, Aroldis Chapman, Todd Frazier, Zach Cozart, and like you said, Billy Hamilton. Billy might be the most popular out of a lot of guys on this list. I think he could have knocked out a lot of guys that made it to the second and third round on this list. Yeah, and again, because this is about popularity, not about 
who's better. Yeah. Okay. So that's I mean that's why you have Corky Miller on this list. Now he didn't advance, but the fact that Corky Miller's name is on this list just shows that you know it's not about the production on the field, and that's why my frustration with Joey Votto being in the Final Four, overcome you know overcoming names like Joe Morgan and Pete Rose, it's a little laughable. Ted Klazuski against uh, Dave Concepcion. How about Dave Concepcion coming out on top there? That I don't mind. Like I said, whoever would have come out of that Tom Browning Dave Concepcion round, I would have been fine uh, with whoever got to this round moving forward. Barry Larkin uh, against Brandon Phillips. This is an interesting one. I have no problem. Brandon Phillips is very popular, but Barry Larkin has been able to sustain his popularity generation mm-hmm. after generation, decade after decade. As popular as Brandon Phillips was this decade, I promise you folks, like when we're doing the show in 2025, we'll remember Brandon Phillips, but I don't think we'll look at Brandon Phillips like we do Barry Larkin and the others. Now, right. had the Reds won a World Series with Brandon Phillips, maybe that changes the way we view him, but again, Barry Larkin clearly is the right answer here. Brandon Phillips, popular, just no way he's even close to being more popular than Barry Larkin. And I think that's the two big things that separates the two. As popular as Brandon won, I think or as popular as Brandon was, I think there's three things that actually really separate them. One, Barry spent his whole career as a Red. Two, he won a World Series, which I mean, as much as people like to argue that rings either really matter or don't matter at all, I mean, it does matter when you talk about popularity to some degree. And I think the biggest thing Barry Larkin's a Cincinnati kid, and that uh, is part of the reason why I'm shocked that some of the other Cincinnati kids in this bracket didn't make it as far, but uh, there's just something about one of the big the, the big three that were born in Cincinnati, Griffey Jr., Pete Rose, and Barry Larkin. I mean, being the Cincinnati kid and then being a Hall of Famer with the Reds, it, it, yeah, it, that's it, key. it's big. Yep. Up next, Joe, and this is the one, of all the ones that I have the biggest issue with, is this one right here, Joey Votto versus Joe Morgan. Again, all these fans were polled on Twitter. The Twitter polls, and of course, more voted for Joey Votto than Joe Morgan. This is a, again, the all-time Reds fan favorite tournament. Joey Votto being voted as more popular than Joe Morgan is the biggest non-FCC approved word that you could insert and think of. That is the, that's ridiculous. And it really wasn't even close. It was 62 to 38. I, that's inc- that's crazy to me. It really is insane. Joe jo- Joe Morgan in this is not as popular as Joey Votto, but uh, comments. If we ran a common sense poll, uh, Joey Votto or Joe Morgan would overcome Joey Votto easily. Mm-hmm. But Joey Votto overcomes Joe Morgan in this tournament round here. Pete Rose uh, versus Joe Nuxall. Joe Nuxall, what I really find most interesting about him is his popularity as a player, but how he was able to turn that into, again, being a part of the best broadcasting duo in the history of baseball, him and Marty Brenneman. So, you know, Nuxall is interesting to me. Uh, but Pete Rose overcoming Nuxall, no yeah, surprise. Yeah, and that's, I mean, as great as Nuxall was as both a player and a broadcaster, this is just another one of those tough matchup points where you're eventually going to run into somebody you just can't overcome. And Pete Rose being the all-time hit king, being a Reds Hall of Famer, being a Cincinnati kid, being a two-time World Series champion as a player, I mean, it's just... When you think of, like you said earlier, when you think of Cincinnati Reds baseball, like him or not, the first name that pops in your head is Pete Rose. Exactly, but again... Pete Rose overcoming Joe Nuxall. I don't have an issue for those reasons you just stated, but those same issues exist when you get to the round of Pete Rose versus Joey Votto, which we'll get into here in just a moment. Tony Perez versus Frank Robinson. Perez comes out on top. No big deal there. The Nasty Boys versus Veda Pinson. This was the weakest bracket in the lower right. I think that you could have put a lot of fringe names. Like I think you could have put a Tom Browning in there, and he probably could have made a run over a lot of these names. A George Foster. Put a Griffey uh, or a Morgan down there, yeah. Exactly. I still think Morgan was screwed to begin with. 
with Sean Casey. I think Sean Casey could have come out of this bracket down here uh, of all the names that were there. That sets up the Nasty Boys against Tony Perez in the Elite Eight. Ken Griffey Jr. versus Johnny Bench. This one was that's, really close. That's that Final Four level matchup right there coming there uh, in the, you know, Sweet 16 yeah. round. Johnny Bench overcoming Ken Griffey Jr. I have no issue with that. No, I, I don't I think either. Ken Griffey Jr. is one of the most popular players in Reds history, but when you put him head-to-head with Johnny Bench, right. Johnny Bench comes out on top. It was 52-48. to 48. It was extremely close. It was the most voted on poll uh, until the Final Four uh, with almost 11,000 votes. I voted Griffey. Uh, he's my favorite baseball player of all time, but, I mean, Johnny Bench going through, there's nothing wrong with that. Johnny Bench, the greatest catcher to ever do it. Next up, you have the matchup of Eugenio Suarez against Eric Davis. Eric Davis coming out on top there that sets up Eric Davis and Johnny Bench. So now we're at the Elite Eight round. Uh, Dave Concepcion against Barry Larkin. Barry Larkin comes out on top. No questions asked. I'm totally fine with it's that. the best shortstop in Reds history against the second best yep. shortstop. Eric in Reds Davis history. against Johnny Bench. That sets up Johnny Bench getting to the Final Four. No issue with that one. Mm-hmm. The Nasty Boys against Tony Perez. I mean, when you look at Concepcion versus Barry Larkin, Eric Davis versus Johnny Bench, Fado versus Rose, it should have been Joe Morgan versus Rose. The fact that you have the Nasty Boys versus Tony Perez, that just screams just how lopsided yeah. uh, and misseated this was, but it is what it is. The Nasty Boys uh, come on top over Tony Perez to set up Johnny Bench versus the Nasty Boys. Dave Concepcion, as we mentioned with Barry Larkin, but then the Vado versus Rose. Joey Votto more popular than Pete Rose? Give me a damn break! I don't. I know that the issues with Pete Rose off the field. Trust me, that has not led to the to him losing popularity amongst Reds fans. What that has done is hurt his chances more and more of social standing within the sport itself. But Pete Rose is not just one of the most not the most popular player in Reds history. He is the only Reds player. And I could be wrong. I mean, Johnny Bench and Barry Larkin, Joe Morgan all carry a lot of weight. But Pete Rose is the only name that I think you could bring that name up in any city and everyone's going to know exactly who that is. Joe Morgan, Larkin, Maybe Bench. All, yeah. Johnny Bench. And all those guys have weight to their name, but none of them have the weight to their name that, that Pete Rose does. Absolutely. So Joey Votto over Pete Rose is a joke. So your final four, Barry Larkin versus Joey Votto and Johnny Bench versus the Nasty Boys. Do you have a, a percentage update on the votes for that yet? Uh, Yeah, right now still 84-16. Johnny Bench leading the Nasty Boys. Almost 7,000 votes on that one. And Barry Larkin still with a 54-46 lead on Joey Votto with almost 10,000 votes on that one. Johnny Bench will win this. Probably. Uh, I think him even over Barry Larkin. Um. Yeah, I think it'll be hard for even the Larkin fans to vote for Larkin over Bench. I think, I mean, if Pete Rose, this should have come down to Pete Rose versus Johnny Bench in the final. I think if Pete Rose would have got past Votto to that final four, Barry Larkin versus Pete Rose, I still pick Pete Rose over Barry Larkin in regards to popularity and in regards to a lot of things. Uh, but Pete Rose against Johnny Bench should have been the final. Most likely final matchup is going to be Barry Larkin versus Johnny Bench. But that's the thing. Joe, Joey Votto... If he would have overcame Barry Larkin a round or two earlier, I would have not as been as angry as I am about him overcoming. So why can Joey Votto overcome Pete Rose and Joe Morgan, but he can't overcome Barry Larkin? That's weird. That's interesting, me. yeah. That's weird to me. So Joey Votto, if you're going to have him, if, if fans are going to outvote Joey Votto over Joe Morgan and Pete Rose, you better outvote him over Barry Larkin. Because as much as that still wouldn't make sense, it would still at least be right. consistent with why you voted him over the other guys. At this point, they're hyping him up to be the most popular Red of all time. 
And there you go. That is the Cincinnati Reds Reds fan favorite vote. Uh, and we just broke that down there. But I was kind of keeping an eye on that all day today. Found that very interesting. All right. That does it for hour one. Hour two coming up. We'll get into a little college football discussion. Around the corner, we'll get into the possible idea of college football maybe being played in the summer. That's right. One of the suggestions there. How about NBA games being played on what? What was it? Not cruise, cruise ships. Ship. A cruise ship? Yeah. NBA games on cruise ships. How about that potential disaster right there? Uh, but we'll also get into our interview with Austin Ward from Letterman Row. Uh, talked all things off-season for Ohio State as well as the dominance in recruiting. And a lot of interesting news and notes there. Also, we think that the running back room is bare for the Buckeyes heading into 2020, despite getting the transfer from Oklahoma. But I'm telling you, it's about to get a lot more crowded. We'll talk about that next. There's a lot going on right now, and more than ever, people need their tax refund. H&R Block has many ways to do your taxes as safely as possible. Work with the tax pro remotely, drop off, or file online. Block is always here to help. Show live here on ESPN Dayton. <laughs> in a little bit, Jay Williams' idea about carrying the NBA playoffs on cruise ships. As stupid as it sounds, it's actually, to go back to the theme to open the show, considering the circumstances, it's actually not that bad of an idea at all. It's actually pretty good. And it's an idea that I wouldn't be surprised if other sports maybe tinkered with the idea as well. We'll get into that around the corner. But Jay Williams, who's been being made fun of all day for his idea about playing NBA playoff games on cruise ships. When you start to look at the bullet points for why he suggested that, they actually make a lot of sense, as crazy as that sounds. We'll talk some Ohio State football to open up this hour, of course. Uh, we're going to play some of the interview that we had with uh, Austin Ward from Letterman Row. A lot of good stuff there. We'll talk about the depth at running back that the Buckeyes will have heading into 2020. We know about Julian Fleming, the incoming freshman for Ohio State at wide receiver. We know that the, de the depth of the wide receiver position, young but talented, might be one of the most talented wide receiving classes that the Buckeyes have had in a long, long time. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the running back depth. We'll get to all of that coming up. Plus, on the defensive side, you lose guys like Jeff Okuda. You lose guys like Chase Young. But how many teams can lose two elite talents like that, guys that are being projected to be two top ten NFL draft picks? How can you lose two pieces like that and still have your defensive coaches not even sweating at night. That's the depth that we're going to talk about with Austin Ward coming up here in just a few moments. But before we do that, let's catch up with Dick from Dayton. Dick, how are you? Hey, Justin, how are you? Good. Great to hear from you. What do you got? Oh, I just wanted to tell you, you could never tell about this epidemic going on. The store has been absolutely bananas. Well, I mean, uh, business is good then. All business is crazy. You All should see the people. I mean, you know, with lumber and everything, you know. With lumber? What are they doing with lumber? I guess I guess there's projects. I guess they want to stay, you know, stay. Uh, they building, building houses. Yeah. Hey, Dustin, uh, I want to just ask you, uh, you know, we'll go by ear, but do, do you know when possibly our Major League Baseball season will begin? You think around May 9th? May 9th, that's very specific. Uh, I would, the sooner the better. 
That's all I have to say. Uh, but it sounds like, look, Major League Baseball has been working diligently to prepare for the worst case scenario. Uh, they've had their union, they've had their lawyers, they've had the union, they've had the league reps, everybody come together uh, on an agreement as to how service time and a lot of these other elements would be handled if there is no season in 2020. The fact that they're even talking like that shows that there is that possibility of potentially not having a 2020 Major League Baseball season. But if I want to think positive here, I mean, if we're talking end of April, like if May, if they started a little mini simulated spring training, we could be talking about end of May, early June, if at all possible. I want to remain positive, but it really is, based on the way things look now, it's a little hard for me to see a start starting point for the season. Hopefully Another June. question I've got for you, too. Uh, how about the Big Ten? What do you think about Ohio State? you think they'll be able to play in September? Oh, you mean uh, for, for football? Uh, that's the thing. that's something we're going to talk about coming up around the corner about the potential, the possibilities, and the discussions of college football starting in the fall, or you know that starts in the yeah. fall, starting in the summer. Um, uh, there's part of me that understands the mindset of starting the season, you know, on time because hey, that's so far down the road. Let's why worry about it? But there is the seasonal aspect of hey, even if this virus dies down over the summer and the warmer months, there's the possibility that when it comes back, it'll come back during your normal flu times, which could be during the fall or towards the back end, which is the most important. You know, you might have a month of being in the clear, but then things could build back up and get real heavy again. I think they're trying to minimize the damage there. I just think that if you can't get a full season in, if you're yeah. not confident you could do it, you got to look at the end of the season as being the same as the beginning. What's the point of starting it if you're going to have to come to a halt? Ask college basketball fans how tragic that was. Oh, yeah, like the Flyers. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping, what do you, what do you, what's your take on pro football? You think it'll be okay? I think everyone's in the same boat right now. I think that we learned that with March Madness. The second that the NBA folded due to this, then you saw March Madness follow its lead. You saw the OHSA and high school school, high school sports on the country follow its lead. Major League Baseball not too long after that sent everyone home from spring training. I don't think it's a sport by sport basis, uh, Dick. I think it's a sports. I think it's sports as a whole. I think if there's not going to be one sport that is safe to play and others not safe, I think everyone's in danger yeah. throughout this. To be honest. Well, good talking to you. You too, Dick. I hope you had a great weekend and have a great week. Okay, have a great week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 457-9464. But, yeah, we'll get into more of that coming up around the corner. Also, the OHSAA news over the weekend broke that there is that they are making plans for a potential delayed start to the fall sports for high school as well. So interesting nonetheless. But I tell you what, we'll get into that coming up around the corner. For those of you who missed the conversation that we had with Austin Ward from Letterman Row, talking all things Ohio State football, Ohio State, they've been dominant on the recruiting trail. What is the secret? There are so many excuses as to why this team should be struggling or at least dragging their feet because it's difficult to get in front of these recruits. But they are lapping the Big Ten. They're dominating the Big Ten, and they're dominating some of the other premier programs in the country like Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, and others. Here's the conversation I had with Austin Ward regarding Ohio State football and the dominance on the recruiting trail. Let's talk a little college football, Ohio State football with Austin Ward from Letterman Row. Austin, welcome in, man. How are you? Doing great, buddy. How are you? Good, and I have to ask, uh, considering what you do and the times that we're in right now, I, were you a little concerned at some point that there would be a shortage in content? Because I feel like there's been more content this last two or three weeks during this than at any normal given time. I mean, good for you and good for us, man. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm very thankful for what you just said. It was Ryan Day and his staff uh, continuing to roll. It's given uh, Jeremy Birmingham, my colleague, a ton of stuff to write about in recruiting. And 
you know, uh, I talked to Trey Sermon on Sunday and, and got to, uh, some of the break some of that news uh, about the running back transferring from Oklahoma. So they've stayed busy, and then they've had a couple. You know, Ryan Day had a press conference on Wednesday or teleconference, I should say, which is great to get some updates about what they're doing. And Gene Smith had had one, you know, fairly early on in reaction to how Ohio State was handling uh, the coronavirus at that point. So they've they've done a pretty good job so far, I'd say, of of keeping us busy and I've tried to look at it where uh, basically we have to deal with an off season every single year and this one is about a month longer um, than we planned and so that's that's maybe sort of an optimistic viewpoint because we certainly know the severity of everything going on but just trying to provide our content as normally as possible uh, to give people a distraction if they're working at home or you know wanting to think about the college football season and what might happen in August and September. Uh, hopefully we're doing a good job with that. We're going to keep trying our best, like everybody is, to, to make it feel as normal as possible when we know that it isn't. Yeah, this is just such a strange time for sports. I mean, I'm taking the real-life element out of it a little bit and just talking from a sports perspective here. But with the real-life element involved to a degree, there are so many reasons and and excuses as to why we can sit here and say, oh, well, there's been not a whole lot of activity in the recruiting trail or why there haven't been a whole lot of commits. What is it exactly? What is it about what Ryan Day and his staff are doing that they're able to overcome the obstacles in their way? Because you're hearing other programs talk about the difficulties that they're going through right now. And what I love and respect about Ryan Day is, and this is something we should all look up to in our everyday jobs and lives that we're going through, it doesn't matter what's going on. we got to keep overcoming this stuff and got to keep putting our best foot forward. Ryan Day is a prime example of that and what his staff's been able to do, as we touched on already. Yeah, I think that, you know, he the way he always approaches this, whether whether it's the coronavirus or, you know, just uh, you know, getting from one week to the next, is that, you know, he... He kind of borrowed a little bit of the win the day and, and tweaked it to him for himself to win the moment from his previous time with Chip Kelly. But I think that that, that mindset really uh, rubbed off on him. It was probably something that he already had embraced in his own life, which is why it fits so well. But he, he he's not focused on anything other than what can be controlled right in that moment. And I know that that's a cliche, but it's also, you know, it became one for a reason. It's true. He, he was asked about, you know, the possibility of the season being delayed or, you know, postponed, canceled, whatever. He said, well, I mean, it's far too early for anybody to really know the answer to that, and it doesn't do him any good to spend any time worrying about it because the thing that they can do right now is they can give workouts to the players by the phone. They can work out on, you know, they can share film, uh, and they can FaceTime recruits and talk to them. Like that part mentioned before I jumped on here, the NFL free agency, it's the same with recruiting. These, these recruits, still need to plan their future. Their their clock is ticking uh, in a way that's even a little more urgent than anybody else because um, you know they they still have to be able to ready be ready prepared uh, when the early signing period arrives or next February. They want to know that they've got a place to go, and then you add up why is it working for Ryan Day as compared to some other programs, especially in the Big Ten. Well, they've got a, a year's worth of. Uh, Ryan Day resume or whatever added to him as a head coach. They, Tony Alford has been building relationships with these running backs for a long time. They they had done the work, and so that when they got to this point, uh, it wasn't they had they didn't have to scramble or panic or do anything different. They already knew who their priority recruits were. They already had relationships, and some of those guys just wanted to take visits to. Uh, you know, we were down. Berman and I were down in North Carolina talking to Evan Fire, and he wanted to commit on his visit. Like, he already knew that that's what he was going to do. So a lot of these guys you talk about for 
uh, Ohio State here. They just like being in Columbus, and they were probably going to you know, make some announcement tied to that once they got here. So they had already they already knew where they were going to go. Ohio State had already done so much work. They were already so far ahead on the 2021 class that you know these guys really it was kind of a formality, and it's it's certainly hurt them that they didn't get to do what they wanted. But uh, in the end, it's both parties are still getting through it the way that um, the best way that they can. Austin, what about for you guys right now? Like what what is uh, how? We know Ohio State's always really good with the media, but what are some of the adjustments that they've made as far as, you know, how available are the coaches and how have they worked with you guys? Because I think that's the other thing, too. You guys have a job to do as well. They don't have to bend over backwards to appease you guys, but they do. And Ryan Day, you know, who was thanking the media just a few days ago earlier in the week, I thought that mm-hmm. was really cool. Just what are some of the things that they're doing differently to appease you guys and to make your jobs easier as well? Yeah, yeah right now I would say uh, it's a little... Yeah. It feels like we've been doing this for three months on lockdown. It's been two weeks, you know. So uh, just having, you know, a lot, we go through most summers covering Ohio State and don't ever have, you know, teleconference set up with a coach or a press conferences like, you know, during the long, you know, during the Urban Meyer era. You know, that stuff didn't exist. And, and so this thing was, you know, just having Coach Day available during a long period where there's not football being played is a little bit rare in a situation, I think, where they – Acknowledge the value in letting the coach weigh in. Uh, I think that that will probably be be more of that. Uh, you know, Jerry Amick, the sports information director for Ohio State, likes to when football is out. You know, have a day when all the assistants are available and we can talk and, and really pick their brains for a while when there's not the pressure of a game. And and that's like just right now, that's not going to be possible for them. So I think we might be you know staggering it out and getting more conference calls with those assistants. Uh, and, and taking it up that way, but this—it's still early for them. Like they don't—they don't really know. Um, they don't want to expose the coaches or bring them out of their homes. Like all of us are under the same stay-at-home order that you know you are over there in Dayton that I am here. So that's—it's uh, it, all—it's all new for all of us. Uh, and they're—they're they're trying the best that they can. And uh, I think one thing you know for me personally, I'm starting to you know get more text messages and, and hear from them directly. Uh, just not for publication, just because they they're sitting at home and they want to talk about football and they want an outlet. You, this is their livelihood and they're they're this is a new reality for them. They're never at home 24 hours a day, um, except for maybe two weeks in June or July. This is you know they itch to do football. You know those football guy hours and uh, you know not that anyone should feel bad for them because we're all in that same boat. But that's for their lifestyle. That's what they're used to. That's what they're trying to, to fill that void, and it's really hard for them to do that. Austin Ward, Letterman Row with us here on the Justin Kinner Show, talking all things Ohio State football at the moment. Uh, you mentioned it a little bit ago, Trey Sermon. That was one of the bigger, uh, you know, bigger pieces of news for the Buckeyes the last uh, couple weeks. That is big time, especially when he entered his name into the transfer portal. We knew that he was going to be heading out, or not transfer portal, but at least be transferred out. We knew that he was going to be uh, a game changer if they were able to land him. With that being said, he's a game changer because of the uncertainty at the running back position for Ohio State. But what if Crowley is 100%? What if Teague does get you know fairly healthy or is 100% by the time the season starts, what happens then? Crowley, I don't think I'm as worried about, but like, what do you? What happens with Teague or that next man up mentality? Because you're bringing Sermon over, and it reminds me of Justin Fields last year. You're not bringing him over to compete for the job, but you basically just bumped out one of your guys if they're healthy. Yeah, I think it would be. Uh, it's hard for me at this point to imagine that Master Teague is going to get back that bad uh, to to 100. And that you know, I 
I hate to, to speculate that far down the road with injuries because I would have said in March of 2018 that Tough Borland was not going to come back. Uh, and he was never 100% that season. We all know that, that how that worked out. But Justin Hilliard, a year ago, so he also had an Achilles injury in spring, and I would have said, that's it. There's no way he's coming back. And he did. So, you know, some of these guys, especially, I mean, Master Teague uh, is a genetic freak. Um, he, maybe maybe six months is all it takes for him, and he gets right back out there uh, in August and September and doesn't miss a beat. If that scenario does happen, I, I still think that what Trey Sermon gives is an all-around back, uh, and, you know, he's also coming off of an injury himself. He had an LCL injury at Oklahoma that ended his season last year, and he's uh, still a month away from being full go, he told me on Sunday. Uh, but that's ahead of his schedule. Um, you know, I just I think I, I watch Trey Sermon and, and the, the upside he has. I think that he would have the best sort of all-around fit for Ohio State offensively and what they want to do. Uh, I, I, I like Teague and the one-cut mentality. I think the guy that I'm highest on on the roster currently until Trey Sermon arrives is Marcus Crowley. As you mentioned, he's still getting into the summer with his ACL. He you know, got injured in the Maryland game. He's really He was really an underrated recruit, and I thought everything I saw from him on the field last fall was really encouraging, and, has, and he's got a bright future. But, you know, I think all of them would like to be in a position. Trey Sermon wanted more carries. He doesn't have to get as many as J.K. Dobbins did. I think there, there is some element to this Ohio State offense where they would like to be able to get back and use multiple backs uh, and not just rely solely on one. If you have a J.K. Dobbins, you certainly you should do that. But I think they like the ability to rotate and find matchups. And, you know, now they're back in a situation where they might be able to do that again because it was looking pretty thin there, and that was going to be a, a bleak uh, spring ball with one healthy scholarship running back in Steel Chambers. But now, if nothing else, you've bolstered the depth. But I think Trey Sermon, a healthy Trey Sermon, has an upside that is uh, could be a real game changer. Austin, this question will probably keep coming, especially once we get closer to the season and once the season starts. Uh, but you're, you're obviously losing Chase Young, Jeff Okuda out. I mean, the local kid here, Landers out. I mean, you're losing a lot of dead. I mean, the offense is just stacked. I mean, between the offensive line, the quarterback, all the receivers, even now at running back, pretty, they're in good shape. But on the defensive side, you're losing a lot of big names. How's the defense stacking up right now? What are some names that people should be familiar with uh, just kind of throughout the offseason uh, as far as talk is concerned? Yeah, I don't. I don't expect much of a drop-off, which is a crazy thing to say when you lose Chase Young. Chase Young, who needs him? I mean. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, and that's sort of been, that's the crazy sort of theme that's developed with Larry Johnson's unit there. Is that, no kidding. Well, you know, Joey Bosa leaves, and, and then the next spring, Nick Bosa, you know, Nick Bosa, Sam Hubbard, you know, Tyquan Lewis, Jalen Holmes, are like, well, we're going to be better than that unit was. And you're like, okay. And then they were, and then they lose. You know, Nick Bosa goes down, and, and uh, Chase Young has double-digit sacks, and uh, you think, well, they're going to be, they're going to have a chance to be better when they don't have Nick Bosa, and they were. It's like somehow they keep raising the bar every single year, and you think that it's going to stop, and it never seems to slow down. I, you know, Zach Harrison, we saw what he could do as a true freshman. That was ahead of schedule in my mind for what what he could become. He's going to be uh, a terror, I think, for the next two years, and uh, has a chance to really take that baton and be one of those. One of those Bosa's, one of those Chase Young's, one of those Taekwon Lewis type impact players. And I think, you know, if you look at defensive end, it's going to be fine without Chase Young. It's crazy. Ian Johnson Cooper returning is a big part of that. 
the Tyreek Smith, Zach Harrison. We saw Javante John Baptiste come along, Tyler Friday. They've got more than enough guys to keep rotating and keep dominating up front. And that helps everywhere else. And then, you know, a couple guys that flashed early, you know, just those three days of spring, Seven Banks looked like he had completely changed uh, his body and was ready to be a starting cornerback, Kerry Combs, and, and in the back of that defense. Um, you know, Cameron Brown was hurt. He's another guy that I've talked to you about before that I think has a bright future at corner. Obviously, you have Sean Wade. Um, you know, Sean was going to be a little bit limited in spring. Some some of these guys, you know, look at Sean Wade or Josh Proctor. This could be a good thing for them if if he comes back and you have summer mini camps, uh, which is one possibility that's been talked about. That maybe not having spring works in Ohio State's favor. Don't mean to get too far ahead down the road on that, but you know, there's there's a bunch of young defensive backs that that's been the position everyone's talked about. I think that they're going to be uh, just fine with a chance to be really good there, even without. Damon Arnett and Jeff Fakuda and Southern Banks, I think, is a big part of the reason why. All right, with the draft coming up, we know Chase Young, uh, Kuda, they're, they're both going. A chance of a potential third Buckeye to be taken in that first round. Uh, J.K. Dobbins, maybe. I, I've seen a few yeah. mock drafts that might have him to the to the Chiefs, which would be amazing. If you ask me, what are you uh, envisioning? <laughs> what are some other bubble Buckeyes that could potentially be taken in the first round? I think people are starting. You know, I, t- I, I touched on Arnett and the possibility there. Uh, there have been a few mock drafts that have included him in the first round. Nice. He made a phenomenal decision. Uh, to come back for one more year when he wanted to leave uh, after that 2018 season, he he was he was not just thinking about leaving. He was out the door and and about to start training in Dallas uh, before Jeff Halfley had a conversation with him and he they talked to some family about the ups and downs that he'd gone through at Ohio State and decided to come back for one more year. He was he was excellent last year despite having that broken wrist uh, that really was you know I mean he played every single game with a cast on not easy. Uh, and I saw a stat today that, that he had the best passer rating or the lowest passer rating against him in one-on-one coverage last year, and he was thrown on a lot. Uh, he's a guy that I talked about a lot that I thought some of the earlier criticism of him and, and some of the things that people said when he chose to come back uh, were really unfair, and, and thank goodness he proved me right in that regard. I, I think he's going to keep proving uh, himself right, and betting on himself is going to pay off in a big way when the draft rolls around. Um, Lee Harrison's another guy just to sneak him in there that was really impressing. We went to the combine feels like seven years ago. I hate to keep borrowing that, that you know, but <laughs> everything it, it, does it, right it, now, man. The time has been different, but Malik Harrison was building a lot of momentum there, and I think if he got to have a pro day as well to to meet with people and work out and do all that stuff in the Woody, the way I mean, he's a physical freak. He would have tested off the charts again and, and doing some position drills. I think he can do a lot of different things at the next level if you wanted to move him in and have a 3-4 outside linebacker, a rush guy, whatever. Lee Harrison can do a lot of things, and I think there's some, there's some interest in him building as well. All right, Austin Ward, Letterman Row, awesome enough to join us here on a Friday on the Justin Kinner Show. Austin, I'll send you out with this. I'm confident that we will see college football in the fall. That's like seven years from now, just steal your term. Uh, <laughs> there you go. I'm, fa- I'm pretty confident to remain confident, but with maybe a stipulation of potentially no fans. Can you imagine Ohio State at Oregon, you covering a game, watching a game of that magnitude, no fans? Maybe Ohio State, Michigan. Can you imagine those games? I'm just glad that there'll be games, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But can, yeah. How much does no fans would that take out of everything in your opinion if it comes to that well I, I think that you know in college football in particular that the pageantry is is what makes it um, 
you know, we all love football, but you know, it's you don't have you don't have the celebration and, and the community part of it. You know, the tailgates, the you know, script Ohio and all that stuff. I mean, it's not the same. I don't think people would watch. I I don't know because it's, it's impossible for us to really envision a life that way. But like college football in a studio with no you know, piped in sound or whatever. I, I, I don't know if it would be the same. Right now, we'd take anything, right? And, and that would be a, a situation that we'd sign up for in a hurry as long as we could get football back. But I tend to think that empty stadiums are, are, are not a likely outcome, and I'll tell you why. And that's just look at the, the guidelines that were handed out for this disease. Unless, if it's completely under control, you play football and you bring fans back. I know none of us can predict it, but there's so many millions uh, on the line you take some if you're Ohio State or any college football program to get it back and fulfill the broadcast deals. But you look at a college football roster, you have 85 scholarship players on each team. They're going to be coming from different parts of the country. Then you have the support staff. But even if you take the fans out of it for football, you're still dealing with several hundred people interacting, you know, sweating on each other. They're hitting and tackling the sport as a contact sport. Mm-hmm. You're going to be in close proximity. That's you know, how we understand it right now is how the disease is spread. I don't think that you, you know, if you have golf or you have, you know, tennis and individual sports where you can be separated out, maybe we get those back first with no fans and, and ease back in. But football, I, I sort of think that we're going to be in a position where you either, ha- you either have it or you don't. And I, other people, you know, want to, you know, make their predictions and, and do that. That's fine. I think it's way too early for any of us to know. But my personal feeling is that. With this sport, you have have to get to the point where the fans can be there and watch or you can't really play it at all just because of how many people are going to be out there participating in it. Yeah, think about, and I know you got to go. I'm sorry, it's been 18 minutes now, but like, think about the financial <laughs> ramifications, not oh, just gosh. for football, and then not not just for one school, not one big program like Ohio State, but across the board. Bobby Carpenter, I was listening to him this morning. I believe it was either on Get Up or, or Golik and Wingo, and yeah. he brought up a ton of great points about how this is it's bigger than just you know, oh, we might not have a season. Like it can have ramifications that go beyond just football and more than just this year. I mean, basketball and the spring sports, everything else. A lot of that is. You you know, kept up, kept afloat by the financials from from football. This could be huge, uh, depending what happens the rest of the year. So. Yeah, I mean, and it, it, it funds. You know, this, this is not Gene Smith. This was another athletic director that I talked to in the past. Like basketball and the number, you know, the NCAA tournament revenue and all that. Like that, basketball funds itself. Okay, and then college football funds everything else. Everything, yeah. Uh, so that's that's you have to think about that, like. It, whether you, I'm not saying this is going to happen specifically to Ohio State, but certainly at other schools, you'd be looking at the potential that you have to, you know, slash staffs, potentially get rid of sports. I mean, football is, you know, so the, the sports are just a game crowd. Let me tell you what, see what happens to major universities if they don't have football driving in applicants and, uh, you know, bringing in boosters to your school. See what happens not just through athletic departments, but your entire university if you don't have college football. This is an important driver of the university economy, and you you have to, you have, yeah. to have it or else you're talking about a really bad outcome. And, and look, we can't control the disease. Maybe that's something that does happen, but there will be catastrophic outcomes if college football is not played. All right, well, let's just hope that's not the case. Thank you so much, man. Uh, I know it's a Friday heading into the weekend. Weird times, but a great time hanging out with you here for the last 20 minutes. All right, that was Austin Ward with Letterman Row.
Uh, that was a previous interview, obviously. I don't actually think it's Friday, so relax, people. Uh, I got a couple people messaging that in, and I'm like, relax. It was a interview that was already conducted. Just chill, people. Just chill. Everything will be fine. Uh, but now a lot of interesting tidbits there, talking about that with Austin Ward, about the poten- you know the NFL draft right now, talking about the potential Buckeyes who, you know, we know what, you know what you're going to get with Jeff Okuda. You know you're gonna, what you're going to get with Chase Young. J.K. Dobbins, a wild card. Lots of interesting stuff there. Head to wingam.com. That interview in its entirety is there. Uh, uh, we'll be ch- chatting more with Austin Ward through the coming weeks, just with all the developments, you know, all the stuff happening right now with the Buckeyes again, just adding to that running back depth for 2021. But next year as well, you talked about like Master Teague, a report came out on him today, right now already starting his his rehab work and everything. So my thinking is, is look, we don't know what his status is going to be come fall, but I do know that. Uh, We've seen guys heal a lot quicker from some of these severe injuries in years past. And I'm just curious to see what that's going to look like if he's able to make a comeback, especially because Teague, I think, has to just be devastated with the injury that he sustained because I think I'm curious, too. I wonder if Ohio State would have gone after the transfer from Oklahoma. I wonder if they would have been as aggressive. I mean, I think that you always had to look at it. But I do wonder just how aggressive Ohio State would have been on the recruiting trail or on the transfer market for that position, uh, at least for that level of a running back. I mean, look, the thing is, athlete, you know, athletics is cutthroat. You, if you have a chance to upgrade at a position, great. Um, but interesting nonetheless. But good conversation there, Ohio State football, college football talk with Austin Ward from Letterman Road. Make sure you check that interview out at wingam.com. Speaking of college football season, a lot of weird conversations going on about the possibility of college football maybe being moved up to start in this summer. We'll discuss that next. Don't go anywhere. More of the Justin Kinner Show right here on Dayton's Home of the Buckeyes, 1410 Wing AM. E to the Justin Kinner Show right here on ESPN Dayton, 1410 Wing AM. Welcome back. Justin Kinner with you here. Here's the deal. Um, as far as all the talk of how every sport could be impacted by the coronavirus, and we've already seen the sports that have been impacted now, college basketball, Major League Baseball, high school sports, uh, you know, whether it be the winter championships, winter tournaments, the fall sports, baseball, softball, it doesn't matter. Every sport thus far has been impacted by the coronavirus, COVID-19, fund a lot of their athletics pie by the football revenue. Here's why I don't feel bad. Like, this is why I would feel worse for... I feel worse for pro sports than I do for for college sports. And here's why. I feel ten times worse for the college athletes than I do any other athlete out there in regards to pro and college. But what I don't feel bad about is the fact that, like, there is all this money being floated all over the place. And yet, you don't even have to pay your workers, technically. Like, if you think about it, all the money that college athletics generates, of all the money that college football generates, me and Austin Moore just had the conversation about just how devastating this could be to a lot of these bigger programs like Ohio State, Alabama, and others, if there is not a 2020 college football season, how devastating that can be because of just how much that money that comes in lifts up a lot of the other sports in those programs. But that same knowledge, that that same mindset exists even in the mid-major schools uh, that don't have a big money-making sport. Uh, If you look at a right state, although college basketball, they're a basketball school, it's not like they are filling up the Nutter Center to capacity to, to... justify money from basketball carrying everything else that they do. They do rely on that money, don't get me wrong, but if small mid-major schools can still uplift all these other sports, I'm pretty sure that, you know, Ohio State and Alabama and others could live, you know, and survive without one year of college football. Now, I bring this up because 
I just I get so frustrated with college athletics because you don't pay your players. You don't pay your your workers technically. Like the NBA and Major League Baseball and NHL and MLS and, and NFL, all the sports all that money, a lot of that money that's generated does go into a pie that has to be delegated towards paying the players and, and TV deals and everything else. That's not the case in college. So the fact that they're freaking out about this stuff, yes, it just means you have to adapt and change how you spend your money. I, I just get so sick of hearing about all the money that's generated from college athletics and yet talking as if, well, we have to force this, you know, this, the, you know, this square peg into this round hole. We have to force the season in just to be able to, to earn money. I just find that laughable. Like, if you make all that money every year and you don't have enough money to be able to survive a year off like this, and I'm not saying that it should just be a fluid situation, but it also is really frustrating when you look at this big picture. So, this is interesting, though. I came across this college football this college football article from Pro Football Focus that talks about, and it's on Yahoo Sports. I'm sorry, that was shared. It talks about the NFL could have the fall football stage to itself if the NFL finds a way to play its games in 2020. Michael Smith of Sports Business Journal reports that one of the scenarios for playing college football in 2020 consists of moving the season to July, August, and September. The decision to accelerate the season would be driven by concerns that the American coronavirus epidemic could subside in the warmer months and return in the fall, an abbreviated college football season played in the summer months could be the best and only way to get a college football season accomplished. I don't know the likelihood of this happening, but you will learn just how desperate, from a financial standpoint, these schools would be and if they all just tried to force this to happen. Um, my thing is, is that I'm not a fan of moving stuff up to force them in because I do think that the same threat that would exist in September would potentially exist in July uh, or October, I mean, and so on and so on. I just believe that if you are going to cancel a season due to the coronavirus COVID-19 outbreak, I think that you cancel it and you cancel it and you move on. I'm not a fan of watching all of these strings try to be pulled to adapt. And what I mean by that is is that you're going to go through all of this work to move the season up. But all it does is take one case to throw all of this off the rails. It takes the, ven- the food vendor getting the coronavirus to knock out an entire 2020 college football season. It takes uh, a cheerleader to get the coronavirus to knock out the entire 2020 college football season. What I mean is is that the margin for error here is so slim that it's going to take one person even associated with college football to get it to wipe out the entire season. It, I mean, we didn't even report about a college athlete getting the coronavirus and we, we knocked out the college basketball season. The NBA players got it and that wiped out college basketball. What makes you think that all of a sudden that this is going to alleviate those issues? Now, I don't have an issue with trying to find a way to get a season in from the fan part of me. I'm just trying to be realistic here. Smith reports that the alternative scenarios like a summer season will be discussed by the powers that be and that it ultimately could be the only way to play the games in 2020. If that happens, the NFL could try to schedule a fall season that would include Saturday games, perhaps in the same windows during which games are played on Sundays. So you would have Saturday games, Sunday games, Monday night football. Maybe that would alleviate the Thursday night football issues. Uh, But again, that's all TV brand or TV market issues as well that they would have to deal with. Bottom line is, in four five seven nine four six four, a college football season starting in July, that's great for us. That means, hey, 
content to talk about in the near future, right? We're heading in to April. Uh, before you know it, by the time we get through this month, dealing with the one more month of, of this stay-at-home order, which could potentially be longer, who knows, then all of a sudden we're looking at May, June, and then, holy crap, like, we could be, we, I mean, we could be closer to a college football season than we think. Would you be a fan of college football being moved up in in hopes of getting the season in? Other complaints and issues in this article that people are concerned about is, will fans want to go sit in the sweltering heat at a college football game? Folks, I don't know about you, but I love a lot of you out there who like to argue that, oh, Alabama would never want to come play at Ohio State because, oh, it's cold in Columbus and they'll never play in the cold. Folks, you do believe that if Alabama ever did play Ohio State, it would be in the non-conference portion of the season, which means it would be in that first couple weeks of the season. And I don't know about you, but every time I go to those first couple home games, I am sweating my man parts off. Like, it is unbelievably hot and miserable. And, I mean, look, I still think back to last year's game um, against, oh, crap, I already forgot who it was. What the first game, Lane Kiffin's team, Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic, FAU. That game, it was great to be at the game, don't get me wrong, but it was miserably hot. It's always hot. I mean, so what? So you have to deal with hot gaming I fans? Are you kidding me? Fans go to negative degrees. You know, they go outside when there's negative degrees out to watch their football team. Whether is it going to keep these fans from going to games? And who's to say that even moving it up to July that there would be fans at these games? But 457-9464, would you have an issue with college football moving the season up to July, August, and September in a truncated season. Maybe that eliminates the non-conference games. Maybe you're just playing conference games. I don't know. I don't know what that would look like. Would you play the full 12? Obviously not. I mean, yeah, you get your full 12 July, August, September. You would get the full season in. How would that work for bowl games? How would I mean, that's where a lot of the money makers are coming in from for the contracts for the bowl games, the TV deals, and most importantly, the college football playoff. How would that work with the conference championship games? Would you get to 14 potentially? I mean, we're talking about trying to get 15 games in in a three-month period, which obviously would extend past that three-month period. I just don't see how that works. I mean, I would love to see it work. I would love to see college football start earlier. I just don't know if it will. Let's go. Uh, we got Tony back. Tony, what's up, man? Hey, man. You made me want to call back in. First of all, they, they can't do that because of the fact of uh, contracts and people, um, you know, they, they probably got stadiums leased out to concerts. And logistics would be a nightmare. But there's no way they're going to move the football season up. Would it be great to watch it instead of freezing cold? Yeah. Second of all, you comment about college sports and players should be paid. Come on, man. Don't open that can of worms again. Man, I got to pay. No, no, no. I never said that. What I, no, no. What I said was the reason I don't feel bad for college athletics when they cry about potentially being financially ruined for not having a season, they make billions of dollars, and yet they, can't, they don't even have to pay the athletes who are making them the money. So they, there should be no issues with money. I'm not arguing to pay the players. I'm saying there's no excuse for them to be talking about ruin. I say, I think last I checked, they made $100 million a year is what's their budget. Uh-huh. That money doesn't go back to the football program. If you think that's crazy, that money goes to every one of those non-revenue sports that Title Nine throws a fit, screams about that Ohio State has to fund. Every Ohio State and University of Texas are the two biggest uh, athletic departments in the country. They they have the only the only two schools that have every single sport for men and women because the because the money comes in for the revenue sports. Is able to give those other athletes the opportunity to play there. Now, a lot of these schools, 
they they have they lack on sports because their revenue sports don't make enough money. But those those they depend on that. Those athletic departments depend. I mean, you know this. Last time you you see went to the bowl game, they lost a million dollars. It cost them a million dollars to go to that shit was the Sugar Bowl or yeah. I mean, what? Uh, and what they they lost a million dollars to go to that game because the, the pay for the band and everybody else to go. So they didn't make it. They lost money doing that. There's some of these athletic departments don't have the money, and, it, and they're barely hanging on. You take the revenue away of, of, of like you talked about, to go to Ohio State for 800000 get your brains beat up. That 800000 is able for, the, you know, whatever non-revenue sports to, 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 and it gives those kids a chance. Uh, you know, I don't like these teams to play. I don't want to see play Miami, Ohio, but it gives a chance to this kids from Miami, Ohio, to have a sport, a, a sports program, whatever it is. I mean, I don't know what they're funding, but that helps them out. So, yeah, if you look at it both sides, yeah, there's a billions of dollars to be had, but it also helps other other people out too. So. No, I get it. I just think we're going to learn a lot about just how vitally important. Like college football, was one thing. My thing is, is you look how much money is made in a quick amount of time for March Madness. Billions of dollars lost in one month due to the NCAA tournament. We're talking about three months of money being lost for college football in the in NCAA. So that's a much bigger picture. You really could say four months because if you add the fourth month of bowl games, conference title games, and the and the playoffs, I just there's going to be a truncated season if they try to get one in. I just think i mean trust me college football in july i'm i'm begging for it no complaints they lost a billion dollars to the ncaa tournament one billion dollars the ncaa lost on they tried to figure out to play that tournament they're just because of tv contracts and and the networks had other things that to get that round that wrangled up to where they could pull it they just couldn't do it there's just no way and they had to take a lot and a loss on that now you can take these universities who's going like the Big Ten, whatever they would have got a share of that pie. Now all of a sudden, now if you take if you take uh, football money away, you're going to see some of these universities, their whole football program or the whole sports program fold up. If we don't play college football, you'll see a lot of little schools be done. But that's a problem to me. Like that, that's weird to me. Like you got to manage your money better. I mean, look, if we all as human beings are being expected to manage our money to the point to where we're not being expected to be able to handle a crisis like this, we're getting some help, I get that. But at the same time, we are, as human beings, always being told, hey, you got to make sure you're saving money. you got to be ready in case of a rainy day or an emergency. Like, we're being, you know taught that as human beings, but yet these big-time companies, and, and not companies, but these big-time organizations who run these, you know, all this money and everything, they don't have any money left over that they could survive one year without it? That's just strange to me, and they, I don't they, feel they bad can, for them. but you're going to lose programs. Are you willing to give up? You give up. You can't give up saying, say you give up on a wrestler. Say, okay, we got women's tennis has got to go. We can't fight anymore. How much so money do you okay. think they generate in a year? A college football team. Let's just say Ohio State, for instance. Hundred million. A hundred. Okay, a hundred million. That's 100 million. that. You said that's their budget. Is that how much they're bringing right. in? It's about what they bring in a year. Okay, let's check. say that that's what they bring in. So that's what they brought in last year. Where did all that money go? That if they didn't have a season this year, that means they're not spending any money on resources or anything or travel. So where did that money go that they couldn't survive having an off year? Fun, fun, non-revenue sports. That's what it does. That's why I just said. But if those, that sport, if, but if that there's no sports this year. Then so be it. 
Okay. I don't know. I'm not arguing with you. I guess this is where my mind is with it, too. I mean, are they that bad with money that they every dollar that comes in, they spend every single dollar right off the bat that there's nothing left to be able to survive an uh, emergency like this? Now, I can't see I them surviving know. two March Madnesses or two college football seasons without it, but I just have a hard time believing that with the money that they generate, that I'm not saying they wouldn't take a hit by not having a season, but to act like these schools would crumble without it, I just think is a little over the top, and they spend every dollar that comes in the second they get it, and that's without me being knowledgeable of how that money is used, but that's just where I'm at. Well, I don't think they spend every dollar, but I'd say 90% of that money funds all those non-revenue sports. And if you look at the sport, if you go to the Ohio State University website, athletic website, and look at all the list of sports, and there's they have every single sport available for men and women that, that can be played. They do every single thing. Now, because the title of mine, you can't say, well, we'll take out women's sports. That, those, are, those are losers. You got to, Title IX, you've got to take every men's sport, an equal amount of men's sports out. So now you're going to have some of these athletic programs are going to be, they'll be gone. They won't have any sports left. But maybe, maybe you know, because if you can't just have basketball, because Title IX says, hey, you can't just have basketball or football, you got to have some equal for women. So what do you do? You can't, you got to keep funding those, those non-revenue sports. Well, that and then to be a D1 program or whatever, you have to have X amount of sports available, too, and all that stuff. So, yeah. no, I get it. But, hey, Tony, take care. Thanks. Bye. Ed and Dayton, what's up, Ed? Man, you know what I'm getting tired of is these guys like Herb Street that think they're epidemiologists, okay? I mean, this is like a day-to-day thing. We, you can't say in 30 days what's going to happen because last time I checked, in 1919, well, I'm not sure what... I think I want to say the Spanish flu broke out and the fall. Hold on, but you say you can't stand guys like Kirk Herbstreit for thinking that they're that, but then you're going to break out your knowledge of it. I see. No, how but just we play baseball. <laughs> <laughs> I think football was played in the winter of 1919. Okay, it's not. People need to quit saying, "Oh, in 30 days, we don't know," because we don't know if this thing's going to burn out like a grass fire and be gone. We could wake up next week and it's gone, so we don't know. So I just wish people would quit, like, you know, looking 30 days ahead. Oh, you know, 30 days ahead is going to – they don't know. Nobody does. So that's, that's all. We might be playing baseball in May. People don't know. That's the thing I want to say. But you always have to be prepared for it. <laughs> no, you have to have a constituency plan. But I hope you're right. Trust me. I don't want to argue with you. If there's ever a time right. I want you to be right, this is it, man. <laughs> right, right. That's all I had to say. I just had to – you know, it's just kind of – I don't know. No, I get it. No, nobody knows in a week where this thing's going to head. It could be, it could burn out like a grass fire. You know what I mean? It's like it's moving so freaking fast. I don't know. That's just that's my. <laughs> no, you're totally fine. And trust me, right. I mean, if that happens, that happens, and that's a great thing right. to get you know back to normal. But there's a lot of uh, people who are experts in this field that say that that's unlikely going to be the case. So we just right. got to be prepared for whatever. I know that the OHSA was planning for a potential delayed start to the fall sports. And they were taking a ton of heat for it. And I was reading all the, the comments underneath that say, my God, it's only March. Enough of this. It's like, dude, they run business. Like this, there is a business side to this. They mm-hmm. have to be prepared. So an article stating that they're working ahead, that you should respect that. You should respect your businesses. I mean, a lot of our oh, yeah. companies are going to be a lot more prepared for this type of stuff moving forward. Hopefully it doesn't sure. happen again for, for a long, long time. But everyone's learning in this. But, no, I, I see your point. Trust me. We just want to be told uh, there's going to be a season. I understand. Because we thought, uh, you know, you looked at the bowl and it was like, oh, my God, it's in Africa. It's coming here. It never really got here. So let's take a chill pill and everything. 
<laughs> All right, man. We'll talk later. Audio said. All right, see you later. Bye. Four five seven nine four six four. All right, we'll be back in a moment. Don't go anywhere. More of the Justin Kinner Show next. There's a lot going on right now, and more than ever, people need their tax refund. H&R Block has many ways to do your taxes as safely as possible. Work with the Tax Pro remotely, drop off, or file online. Block is always here to help. Now, back to the Justin Kinner Show, right here on ESPN Dayton, 1410 Wing AM. A lot more to get into as we head into Hour 3. We'll pick up with the conversation about the possibility of the college football season kicking off in July, moving the season up by a few months to try to get a complete season in. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Do you like that idea? We'll get into all that in Hour 3 coming up. Plus, we'll get back into the Reds fan favorite bracket results. All that coming up in Hour 3. More of the Justin Kinner. There's a lot going on right now, and more than ever, people need their tax refund. H&R Block has many ways to do your taxes as safely as possible. Work with the tax pro remotely, drop off, or file online. Block is always here to Help. Live here on ESPN Dayton. We are off and rolling. It's the Justin Kinner Show live here on Dayton's ESPN radio station, 1410 Wing AM. All right, here's the deal. Um, I don't really get it. I'm really not a big fan of these, like, way too early rankings, like these, especially power rankings, the 2020 NFL power rankings. That poll came out today, and it really irritated me because it's doing something that I hate doing, and that's defending the Cincinnati Bengals. ESPN's 2020 NFL Power Rankings are out. And if you ask me, a lot of this, you know, changes depends on recent moves and just some positives moves that these organizations have made. So I was like, you know what? I don't expect the Bengals to be top 10. I don't expect the Browns to be top 10. But I expect them to have both made some significant leaps and bounds and jumps and that type of thing. And I'm scrolling through, and then as I'm scrolling some more, I'm getting to 15. Nope, still nothing. Oh, 20, still nothing. Why well, come across the Cleveland Browns are at number 22. But then I keep going. And the Cincinnati Bengals come in dead last. Dead last. Shifting spending patterns. That's the only positive thing that they could say, but you've got to understand something. I know that shifting spending patterns don't always result in a playoff team. Just ask the Cleveland Browns. I completely get that. But when you begin to look at this in the power rankings in the NFL in the offseason, to add the Cincinnati Bengals ranked as last, they're one of the most improved teams in all of the NFL. And the biggest knock on this organization has been the front office's inability to buy in to the to winning. You know, and there's a difference between wanting to win and buying into winning. And the Bengals have always probably wanted to win, but there's a difference between wanting to win and buying into winning. This is the first time in a long time, again, spending over well over $112 million. They've spent more money this offseason alone than they have the last five offseasons. Compiler, Reds, player, current, former, non-active. And Joey Votto has moved along pretty well in this list. He has beaten out the names of Joe Morgan... And Pete Rose. And I don't care what anybody says. Joey Votto is not more popular than Pete Rose, and he's definitely not more popular than Joe Morgan. And I don't understand how we can come to this point that on a social media poll that Joey Votto would get more votes than either of those two. That, to me, 
is a little out there. I think that's a little crazy, if you ask me. There's other names on this list that we talked about, how they kind of didn't really belong. Corky Miller, uh, Tucker Barnhart, um, you know, Michael Lorenzen. Like, these are just names. Anthony DiScafani. Look, Anthony DiScafani was the best pitcher in a rotation on a last-place team for five straight years. You can't have that. You can't have that. How is Anthony DiScafani a fan favorite when you were the best pitcher in a rotation that was leading you to last place finishes for four or five straight years. I'm not saying Anthony DiScafani is a bad guy. I'm just not voting for Anthony DiScafani in any case like that. I don't look at Anthony DiScafani as a fan favorite. In fact, when his career is all said and done, I think he is a name that will fans will remember, but I don't think he'll go down in the history books as one of the best Reds of all time. To show you just how much the Reds have improved from years past to now, Anthony DiScafani went from being the best pitcher in that Reds rotation to the worst pitcher in the Reds rotation. And he's still pretty good. But he's not a number one. But he was being forced to being looked at as the number one in the Reds rotation during this stretch. But the, the fact that you can, and you could, Wade Miley, you could honestly argue who's the, the worst, the number five pitcher amongst those two. But I'm not going to sit here and have an argument about Anthony DiScafani in a fan favorite tournament. Give me a break. Like, I'm not a big fan of this. As I'm going through and looking at a lot of these names, I just don't get it. Corky Miller was never a, a great Red. But he is a popular Red. For those of you who have ever been out on any of the Cincinnati Reds caravans or Reds Fest, you know that one of the biggest fan favorites out there, fans in media like just love and gravitate towards Corky Miller. But Corky Miller doesn't even get past the first round losing out to Eric Davis. I don't know how they were able to put this bracket together. I thought that they lumped too many big names. I think it was unevenly distributed. The final four right now includes Barry Larkin versus Joey Votto, Johnny Bench versus the Nasty Boys. Joey Votto trails Barry Larkin. Johnny Bench leads the Nasty Boys large. It'll most likely be Barry Larkin versus Johnny Bench in the final. But my question from earlier was, if you're going to justify Joey Votto being greater and more popular than Joe Morgan and Pete Rose, then why would you just not complete the deal and put him past Barry Larkin? To sit there and say that, oh, he's not more popular than Barry Larkin, but he is more popular than Pete Rose and Joe Morgan, that's laughable. Pete Rose is one of the most popular baseball players of all time, not just in Cincinnati, but in baseball. As great and rich in history as the Reds organization has been, don't get me wrong, there are not a lot of names that resonate throughout the country like Pete Rose's, even after all of his years since he's you know retired or been kicked out of the league, whatever you want to call it. Barry Larkin, a, a big name that resonates across Major League Baseball. Don't get me wrong. Johnny Bench, the same thing. You know, Joe Morgan, obviously. They, those are all big names, but none bigger than Pete Rose. You're not going to convince me that anyone in the Reds' history is more popular than Pete Rose. We're not talking about best ever. We're talking about popularity. I think that's pretty simple. I think that's pretty easy. That's a pretty easy argument to make. How Pete Rose is not going to go down and voted upon as the Reds' most popular. You know, fan favorite, I, I don't understand that whatsoever. That's just laughable. In fact, my biggest argument about baseball continuing to fight to keep Pete Rose out is that they are fighting hard to keep out a name that could probably be one of the biggest, one of baseball's biggest assets. Now, maybe not so much now, but you watch, he is ratings gold whenever they have let him be a part of the World Series panel coverage. Uh, anytime that he is on any of these radio shows or television, he is gold. He is a ratings draw. People gravitate towards Pete Rose. You can't say that. I mean, you could say what you want about Johnny Bench. We're not talking about talent. We're talking about popularity. Absolutely 
Johnny Bench does not resonate the same attention or the same reaction that Pete Rose does. Same thing with Barry Larkin. Same thing with the Nasty Boys. Same thing with Tony Perez and Ken Griffey Jr. and all the others. That's my biggest frustration with how all of this is laid out. Pete Rose is not just the most famous, or most famous. Uh, Pete Rose is not just the most popular Reds player of all time. He's one of the most popular baseball players of all time. We're not talking best here. I'm not trying to get into an argument of who was better between these guys. But put Barry Larkin on any radio show or television show across the country out there. Sure, it's good radio. It's good television. It's a good interview. But it's not a ratings hit. It's not a ratings bonanza. Same thing with Johnny Bench. But you, Joey Votto, Jesus, yawn. Okay? But you put Pete Rose in there? He's every interviewer's dream. Hands down. Because of the interview that he gives you, but as well as the reaction that the networks get when he's on your show. Pete Rose is by far the most popular player. So the fact that Joey Votto beat him, and, and the fact that Joey Votto beat Joe Morgan out too is also laughable, but especially the fact that he beat out Pete Rose. I've had some time to sit on this as this show has gone on, and I've grown more and more frustrated with it the more I thought about it. If you are talking about the all-time fan favorite, then this is the stupidest result of them all. Joey Votto over Pete Rose? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? The Hit King versus the Walk King. Yeah, which one of those styles resonates more with fans? The Walking? The stat nerds have their calculators all ready to go. They love the Walking. They love the on-base percentage. Good for you. Or how about Pete Rose? One of the most exciting players in the history of baseball. You ne- He never cheated you. You always got your money's worth when you watched him play. Right? Have you ever heard anyone else say anything about him that's not relating to him you know, betting and cheating on baseball and, you know, being a slime ball. But other than that, I mean, other than that, right? <laughs> but that's my whole point, too, is even with all of Pete's deficiencies, he has always had a huge following. People have never left his side. He still has large sums and masses of fans that come to his defense that he should be in the Hall of Fame. I'm not one of them. I really couldn't care less, any less than I do now. I think that that ship has sailed. It is what it is. But I've always thought it was crazy that the more he got in his own way, the more that he stubbed his own toe, the more his fans rallied around him even more. But now in this stupid little social media poll that I thought was dumb at first, but then apparently it's not that dumb because it irked me enough to spend as much time as I have on it here on today's show. Joey Votto over Pete Rose, give me a break. Jake in Dayton, what's up, Jake? Hey, I just had a quick thought on this. I just, first of all, it's a social media poll on Twitter. Uh-huh. which is not very big among the older generation of fans. So I think you're getting the younger fans that are like, oh, Joey Votto, Joey Votto, because that's all they've ever seen. They haven't really seen Pete Rose, Joe Morgan, the big names like that. But I'm just going to let you know in that poll, I voted against Joey Votto every Woo! time in Oh, around. good. You said against Joey Votto. Okay, good. Yes, there against you go. Joey Votto, because that's, <laughs> that's ridiculous. I was like, Joe Morgan, better. I like him more than Joey Votto. Pete Rose, same thing. It's just crazy to me that that's... But this is the result right now. You're right. It's absolutely ridiculous. But, but to your, to your point real quick, though, Jake, about, about and I agree with you. At first, I agreed with everyone because I got a, a couple of reactions like that on social media saying that, hey, look, this was a Twitter poll. A lot of this was, you, you know, it's all Twitter reaction. For Twitter users, a lot of it is a younger demo that uses it, so it's going to be more recency bias. That, and then I bought into that. But then I started looking. I'm like, well, wait a minute. 
if that's the case, then why would Griffey Jr. not have bounced Johnny Bench or Eugenio Suarez over Eric Davis or, you know, Corky Miller over Eric Davis because we're talking about, you know, younger fans who <laughs> lean towards popularity more, you know? So I just, I thought that the, the Joey Votto one just, that was forced. Some of the others are questionable, but that one was forced more than any of them. So, yeah, we're on the same side on that. But I see your point, but that theory doesn't make sense with how everything else was voted, which was very, voted pretty fairly. Fair. I just think that Joey Votto is just like, I don't, I love Joey Votto, I do, but he's not better than those guys, and for some reason, I, I guess everybody falls in love with his stats, and he's a recent MVP, I, I don't know what the logic is with that, but there's no way that he should be above Joe Morgan and Pete Rose, it's insane, and like what you just said, you put any of those guys on a radio show, and they're going to get you way more ratings than Joey Votto is, I I don't know. But Joey Votto, too, the biggest complaint about him was that he was not fan-friendly. Um, right. He had no personality. He wasn't very good with the media early on. He, and I'm not going to you know, knock someone for not having a personality. That I'm, You can't force someone to change who they are. But for a guy, I don't, I don't know. I, I just feel like out of nowhere, all of a sudden, Votto has become this super popular player because he, he waves like a dork in some of these TV commercials. Like I, I don't understand that at all. I just don't. We're not talking about uh, you know production. We're just talking about overall popularity, and that's what's amazing to me. Yeah, I agree. But, yeah, that was just my quick point, and maybe that was my thought was maybe because he plays now and it's a Twitter poll that the younger users pick Joey Votto. But, yeah, you made a great point there that it's probably not the case because Suarez and the other younger, more current players didn't get past. So, yeah, that makes sense. But, yeah, that was just my quick thought. So No, Jake, thank you, man. I appreciate it. You take care. Yep, you too. Bye. All right, four five seven nine four six four. It's a good point from Jake. Again, this was a social media uh, Twitter poll. Okay, a Twitter poll again. And what they did is they had it was around th- basically thirty two Reds players. Some are current Reds on the Reds roster or former Reds. Now, keep in mind the other thing we found interesting when Shay and I looked at this earlier. There are no former Reds that are active in Major League Baseball who I think would be major players on this. Todd Frazier, I think, would be a major player on this. Um, Johnny Cueto would be a major player on this. Brandon, oh no, Brandon Phillips is there, sorry. Uh, Billy Hamilton. Say what you want about Billy Hamilton. We're not talking about, again, this isn't a bracket about who's better. We're talking about popularity. Billy Hamilton, from a popularity standpoint, you can argue that his popularity is what kept him around probably a year or two longer than he should have been. Popularity... You could argue Billy Hamilton would probably go pretty far on this damn list, as weird as that sounds. I mean, I'm not joking. If Billy Hamilton and Eric Davis came up in a bracket side by side, this isn't about who's better. It's about popularity. I would not have been surprised to see Billy Hamilton's name come up over Eric Davis. Not talent-wise, popularity-wise, and that's what this bracket is. i got to keep emphasizing that. Um, but, yeah, that's what's amazing to me. And People are rolling their eyes at that. But, look, Corky Miller's name popped up on this list. Corky Miller has no business sniffing this list. At least, you know, Hamilton played, gave a solid couple years. Obviously never learned how to swing the bat efficiently enough, but we know that he was a walking highlight in center field. Uh, we know what he, what he was able to do when you could finally get him on base. But I'm curious, 457-9464, with it being a well, you just heard from the last caller, Jake, that he believes that it's Twitter uh, you know, being used by a much younger fan base, that it has more recency bias. Why well, Why else would Joey Votto be voted over Joe Morgan and Pete Rose? Is there something I'm missing? 
Why? I mean, is that? I feel like there should be an easy answer to that, and I, I'm, I'm missing it completely. There is nothing out there to justify Joey Votto being more popular than those two. Four five seven nine four six four. I want to hear your responses when we come back. There's a lot going on right now, and more than ever, people need their tax refund. H&R Block has many ways to do your taxes as safely as possible. Work with the Tax Pro remotely, drop off, or file online. Block is always here to help. <laughs> Justin Kinner back with you here on the Justin Kinner Show, right here on Dayton's ESPN radio station, 1410, Wing AM. I love this response on Twitter. Andrew Smith says, look, whatever you say, I mean, in regards to the talk about Joey Votto and Pete Rose, how somehow Joey Votto got more votes to outdo Pete Rose for the most popular Reds player. Of course, that's not the final, but that was where they were at in that round. Joey Votto knocks out Pete Rose out of the Reds' all-time fan favorite bracket challenge. And uh, Pete, Joey Votto advances to the final four where he's going up against Barry Larkin at the moment. Barry Larkin uh, still with the lead, most likely going to win that one. But like I said, if Pete Ro- if Joey Votto has the what it takes to beat out Joe Morgan and Pete Rose in a fan popularity contest, but yet can't beat out Barry Larkin, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I think Barry Larkin would beat Joe Morgan in a popularity contest head-to-head, but I do believe Pete Rose would beat out Barry Larkin because, like, it has to be. It has to be Pete Rose. Like, Pete Rose is the most, of all the big red machine guys, like, Pete Rose is the guy. I mean, say what you want about talent or whatever. I don't really, it's not about eyes possible summer season. This article coming from Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk on NBC Sports, an article on Yahoo Sports. It says that the NFL could have the fall sports stage to itself if the NFL finds a way to play its 2020 games. Michael Smith of Sports Business Journal reports that one of the scenarios for playing college football in 2020 consists of moving the season to July, August, and September. Now, we talked about this earlier in the show. I'm not really against this. I mean, for one, for the purpose of this show and the purpose of our sanity, the sooner we can get to live sports, the better. Um... The sooner we can get to. I mean, imagine July could be like the big month, man. July could be the month that we get the NBA back. It could be the month that we get baseball. It could be the month that we might get college football. If they consider this. We talked about the significance of just how much money is weighing in on getting a college football season in. We talked about the gate. We talked, you know, how how important it is, you know, the money is at the gate, uh, you know, from a TV, from a network standpoint. Although not every individual school sees money directly from the network. It's a share that's distributed from the conferences themselves. Obviously, the Big Ten Network, the SEC, you know, those types of things, too. They all get a, a piece of that. So if you do not have those seasons, if those seasons do not happen, clearly they're going to take a big cut, which means clearly they are going to do everything in their power to find a way to get a season or partial season in. My thing is, is I don't want to see a season start that they know that there's no way that they can finish. Which coinc- I mean, which obviously is why they're even looking at the fact that starting the season in July to begin with. You want to move the season up to play as much of the season in the months that the least oppor- the, the least chance of playing in the middle of another coronavirus outbreak could potentially happen. 
So that's going to be the big thing. Again, it says that the decision to accelerate the season would be driven by concerns that the American coronavirus epidemic could subside in the warmer months and return in the fall. An abbreviated college football season played in summer months could be the best and only way to get a college football season accomplished. To go back to my point, I do not want to see a college football season start with the powers that be knowing that there is no way that they are potentially going to get an end to the season being the college football playoff. Knowing that you're not going to get to the postseason, the bowl games, the conference championships. Like, if you feel truly that the coronavirus could begin, you know, it's going to subside in the warmer months and make its return in the fall, we're still talking, you know, July, August, September, you're still talking the coronavirus making its return during a time that you're playing the biggest games of the season. You risk running into the same thing that these college basketball players just did. That just witnessed. I mean, Flyer fans, you can relate to this on the basketball side of things. Can you imagine? I mean, you got to watch your team dominate in November, December, January, February. Just to get to the point of the season that you play all those months forward to get to the most special time of the season to have it ripped out from underneath you. Ohio State fans, you risk, you run the risk of potentially being a victim of that same scenario. You run the risk of dominating July, August, and September to get to the Selection Sunday show, to get to the point of the season where you could officially be talking about the playoff. The, co- the college football playoff announces it's four, and then guess what? The season's canceled before you can get to the playoff because the college football playoff would most likely be in October at that point, right? So that's the problem. That's the problem that I see happening and why this could be an issue, is you got to be sure that you're confident that you can get a full season in based on the circumstances and based on the information that we know now. And if you are moving the season up to July in fear of playing during a time of the year where the coronavirus could make its return if it does subside by, you know, in the warmer months like they're anticipating, if that's the case, you are already acknowledging that that is the time of year where this can impact you the most. So why July? Why are you not talking mid-June? You might, I mean, we might not, if that's the case, if college football does, for some miraculous reason, start in July, beginning of July, we're talking like truncated, truncated season in regards to not a whole lot of off time. I mean, you, you literally, I think that the best thing you could possibly do right now, if you do want to get a college football season in based on the mindset of, oh, well, this coronavirus step, you know, pandemic is going to kind of disappear and dissipate in the warmer months, then you know what? I think you need to shrink the season down a bit. I think you need to get rid of some non-conference games. I know that you're going to be losing money, gate money and stuff for a couple of these home games, which is the whole purpose of some of these to begin with. But I also think that you kind of got to, the little, you got to take a little, you got to give up a little, you got to take a little, give up a little. I think that's how this is going to have to go. You know, do we really need the Bowling Green game? Do we really need some of these games if you're Ohio State? No. I don't think you need some of those. Hell, to be honest, I don't even think you need the Rutgers game or the Maryland game at the time. All right? But you, you, here we are. My point is, is that if you play all 12 games as is with the bye weeks in between, with the week for the college or for the for the championships, the conference championships, with the week for the selection Sunday. Obviously, I don't think that there would be a month long gap. But then again, where are you putting all your bowl games? You are going into this knowing that you are not going to play a regular season. I mean, a normal season, a regular season, yes. Uh, but how? What, what would a normal season look like? But four five seven nine four six four. 
don't act like college football season. I had a caller earlier call in and say, let's just stop. It's only it's still March, and we're talking as if a fall sports season is not going to happen. Let's not act like it's that crazy to consider the idea that college football could not happen. Because I don't think that any of you out there could have really convinced anybody six months ago that we could have potentially been, been heading into a college basketball season that would not have a March Madness. But that's where we're at right now. Would you like to see the season start in July with the hopes of getting the whole season in? Or would you rather them just take the risk, start the season when it's supposed to start, and risk it not happening at all? I feel like you Flyer fans can relate to this a lot more than most. You know what it's like to have the most important time of the season ripped out from underneath you after you put all the work into the regular season. That's what you are almost asking this you know, this team to do now. You're asking Ohio State, Alabama, LSU, Oklahoma, these other powers that be uh, to dominate for July, August, and September and then qualify for the college football playoff and then because the college football playoff would fall in the month of October where a lot of this is projected to come back again, you risk that part of the season being the most important part taken away from you. That's where my concern comes in with all of this. Four five seven nine four six four. Do you move the season up? Do you keep the season where it is? We'll discuss more when we come back with your calls reaction on social media. I'm getting a couple of those coming in now. I'll get to your reaction next. There's a lot going on right now and more than ever people need their tax refund. H&R Block has many ways to do your taxes as safely as possible. Work with the Tax Pro remotely, drop off or file online. Block is always here to help. to be interesting. I've voiced my opinion on this for quite a while now, the last couple weeks, ever since the March Mad, ever since the NCAA tournament have called it quits. There was talk right away that a lot of college, not that a lot of, but that colleges were going to be fighting to get an extra year of eligibility for seniors who were impacted, who didn't get a chance to participate in the winter tournaments, uh, and for all spring sports athletes. And I have no issue with the spring sports, them fighting to get their senior year back, who miss it, who miss basically all of it. Some, you know, baseball, softball, you know, some of the spring sports had officially, you know, started. Um, so I have no issue with them trying to fight to get another full year of eligibility. They hadn't even reached the halfway point, much less even thinking about the postseason. So I have a no issue with that. I had a huge issue with the winter sports athletes trying to fight to push for that. So. Here's the other issue I have. If you are a school like Dayton, who does not play in a Power 5 conference, but you're number three in the country, your team is impacted greatly with your seniors. Talking about, of course, Ryan Mikesell. Talking about Landers. You would think that if the rule was passed that the seniors would get an extra year of eligibility, that they should and would be able to play another year if that happened. But there is a scenario where schools like Ohio State and others would get their seniors back for next year, but a team like Dayton would not. Power 5 seeks athlete eligibility and other help. According to Adam Rittenberg, ESPN senior writer, he's going to be on the show with us tomorrow to talk more in depth about this. Um, I don't know why this just states Power 5 teams. Why would this just not be Division 1 basketball or Division 1 athletes as a whole? Not basketball, but Division 1 athletes as a whole. Because according to this, Power 5 conferences are fighting to get those seniors an extra year of eligibility 
who did not get to participate in the winter tournaments that they qualified for. So why is it that players at Duke, Ohio State, Florida, anywhere, I don't really care what teams were in the mix and were not. I don't think Florida was, but it's not the point. My point is, is what makes them so special that the number three team in the country is not considered special enough to get those players back in return? Now, I'm going to be clear here. I think that zero seniors should be able to return for next year that were impacted by this this year. I think that you got an entire season in. You know, if we're just going to use the Flyers as an example, we got to watch Mike Sell and Landers. They got to win their conference championship, okay? Not the tournament, but the regular season. They got to, they got a full regular season in. I do not believe that these seniors should be given 30-plus more games just because you missed maybe two to three more. I think that's a problem. I don't think you should do that. I think it's very unfortunate. Everything that we're talking about is unfortunate. But I do have an issue with this article that the Power Five is that the Power Five seeks athlete eligibility. This is an article from Adam Rittenberg, as I mentioned, stating that student athlete leaders from the Power Five conferences are seeking an extra year of eligibility for college athletes who didn't complete their seasons, as well as support for housing and food, as the Division One Council plans to vote Monday on eligibility relief in the wake of the COVID-19 outbreak. This is some straight-up BS, if you ask me. You really? I mean, look, I know that the NCAA right now is definitely babying the Power Five schools, the high majors. I completely get it. But if I'm a school like UD, I'm irate and pissed off if they do not get held to that same standard that the Power 5 schools are. They're the number three team in the country. Why should their seniors not get an extra year if they're fighting for it? In a joint statement, Power 5 representatives of the Student Athlete Advisory Committee outlined three recommendations for the council, beginning with immediate support for housing and food. And talking about the immediate you know, eligibility relief. And so on and so on. And it's talking about those winter sports athletes. At first, I thought this was just about the spring. So I didn't really think anything of it. I didn't have it in my notes. I started reading this during the commercial break. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. That's a big deal. Imagine if the seniors on Ohio State are allowed to come back another year. Or the seniors at Michigan. Or other of these Power 5 programs who were not having seasons even remotely close to the level of which the Dayton Flyers were. Imagine... A rule being made that those schools can get their seniors back, but Dayton could not. Power 5 seeks athlete eligibility and other help. So this would just be for the Power 5 schools. Power 5 conferences. They're all seeking an extra year. Now, who's now? I will say this. These Power 5 conferences are seeking that extra year. Who's to say that these other mid-major schools would not go and seek the same thing? Maybe that would happen. Maybe there wouldn't be an issue. But I have an issue with this divide-and-conquer mentality, which I know does exist in all of sports to begin with, but I do believe that's a little bit of BS right here. The Power 5 is seeking a, a, you know, athlete eligibility. Screw the Power 5. It should be college athletes in general. Or the college, the teams, in, the, all the programs in general. The Div- Division One athletics is seeking an extra year of eligibility for the seniors who were impacted. Not Power Five. We've all said before that it's only a matter of time before those Power Five or high majors end up branching off and forming a, a basketball conference of their own or a league of their own. Don't get me wrong. We know that's only a matter of time. But I'm trying to remain positive and think that that's not the case. But then you see stories like this. 
where the Power Five is seeking athletic eligibility and other help for their Power Five schools, leaving the you know the Atlantic Ten and some of the other conferences in the dust. But like I said, if the Dayton Flyers are the number three team in the country, and because they're not a Power Five, they're not eligible or able or in position to get their seniors back like this, like these guys are, that I have a problem with that. We're going to talk more about that with Adam Rittenberg on tomorrow's show, ESPN senior writer. We've had him on in the past during college football season. But I am curious people's thoughts. We have about five minutes remaining here. Four five seven nine four six four. How irate would you be? If the Power 5 schools were able to get their seniors back, but the Dayton Flyers were not able to get Mike Sell and Landers back. That's a big deal to me, and I would feel that a lot of you out there would feel pretty passionate about that as well. And you should. And I'm going to go a little bit out there even more. You know, to tie it in again even more with another local team. The Wright State Raiders also punched their ticket to a winter tournament, technically, right? They postseason to the NIT. And you could scoff at the NIT all you want, but the NIT was something that the Flyers were just in a year ago, so I don't want to scoff at anything. The NIT is still the postseason. Why would, if you're going to go, I mean, if we're going to talk about what UD would have to do to get an extra year for their seniors in this mess, which, again, I'm not for seniors getting an extra year because of this. However, if seniors are able to get an extra year because of this, but there's restrictions along the way. I think that's a bunch of crap. You know, for the same purpose. I mean, all the purposes are the same. You did not. They did not get a chance to play in their winter tournament championships because X, Y, Z. Well, the same thing matters for the NIT. I would go another step further. I don't care if it's the CBI. I don't care if it's those, you know, tournaments outside of the NIT and the NCAA tournament. If teams qualified and punched their ticket for those tournaments and those seniors did not get a chance to play in those tournaments, I don't care if it's Power 5, High Major. I don't care if it's, I don't care who it is. Seniors are seniors. Postseason qualified teams are postseason qualified teams, whether you're High Major or Mid Major or Low Major. I don't care. I don't give a rip. This is the dumbest thing I've come across in quite some time in a joint statement that says that the Power Five representatives of the Student Athlete Advisory Committee are right now pursuing an extra year of eligibility for winter sports athletes and spring sport athletes who had their season abruptly come to an end. Now, I had to refresh this to make sure that this wasn't an article that was an old article because I was like, I thought we've talked about this before. We have. I thought we had put this to rest. Clearly not because the Power Five now is gathered together because they're voicing their frustrations with this. I'm not okay with this. Um, I do find this very interesting. Uh, it is what it is. I don't know what's going to come up, come of it. I do have a hard time buying in and believing the fact that these Power Five schools are not going to get their seniors back or get their seniors back in schools like the A-10 schools being UD or not. I don't understand that at all. And if this happens where the Power 5 schools get their seniors back in schools out of the Atlantic 10 like UD, the number three team in the country, by the way, if that happens, that's a problem. That's very weird. That's stating right there that you could be the number three team in the country. Hell, you could be so like Gonzaga. Does that mean Gonzaga doesn't, they wouldn't get their seniors back? Right? Like, that's crazy to me. What about San Diego State? Folks, we were talking about how unique this year was because it wasn't your typical blue blood dominated year. Sure, Kansas, the number one team in the country, that's fine. But, I mean, that was a spot that was being really juggled between, you know, we're talking Gonzaga, we're talking San Diego State. You never reached number one. But the bottom line is is that we're talking about all of these non-traditional, 
you know, high major programs in the mix. San Diego State, talking about the Dayton Flyers, talking about Gonzaga. Those three, after the kick-ass years that they just had, that had their season abruptly pulled from them, who all had super high expectations, you could have potentially watched all three of those teams get to the Elite Eight Final Four against one another. Who knows? But because they're not high major, they wouldn't get to, they wouldn't get to have their seniors back next year who were impacted in the same exact way as the Power 5 seniors, that to me is a huge issue. I don't think that's what the end result would be, but the fact that the Power 5 have kind of grouped together to push this, to put the pressure on, this is, this is a prime example of the Power 5 knowing that they have leverage within college athletics because they're going to bully their way into making this happen. I think the NCAA had no interest in doing this. But when you have the Power Five groups come together, they are bullying the NCAA. The NCAA. They are basically saying, hey, look, this isn't the ACC fighting for this. This isn't just the Big Ten fighting for this. We as a Power Five group, the rumors have been going around for years that eventually these Power Five conferences would branch off and form their own whatever. They're coming at the NCAA saying, hey, this is what we want. Folks, this wasn't done by accident. This was done purposely. The unification of the Power Five conferences coming together like this, this was done purposely to put the pressure on the NCAA. Because the NCAA had already voiced their opinion about, hey, we're, we're not going to give this to the winner's sport. That, I thought we had already crossed that bridge, right? I, I, I know we've crossed that bridge. This, to me, is a tactic to keep an eye on because I think this is bigger than just this one-time scenario that they're trying to bully their way into. I believe that if they do force this enough, they will get their way. They will get their seniors back next year. But what I'm curious about is, is how do conferences like the Atlantic 10 and others? We didn't even get into the fact that the Atlantic 10 over the weekend announced that they were potentially looking into expanding to a 20-game conference schedule. We'll get into that tomorrow. Adam Rittenberg with ESPN. We'll also have him on the show to talk more about Power 5 uh, conferences seeking athlete eligibility for winter uh, sports athletes as well. So that'll be tomorrow. We'll also keep an eye on that Reds fan favorite bracket uh, as well. We'll get into more of that, too. Folks, that wraps it up. I appreciate uh, you guys hanging out for a little bit today. Have a great night, and we'll do this again tomorrow. Until tomorrow, this has been the Justin Kinner Show on 1410 ESPN Radio.